Hey everyone, three quick pieces of business before we get this episode started. The first thing I want to do is I want to announce that the I've Known You Too Long podcast has an official sponsor. Crown Car is now our official sponsor. If you heard the episode, two episodes back, Soto Rebellos, he is the owner of Crown Car. And if you listen to that episode, you know I used to work for Crown Car for a couple of years. They are a great company. Crown Car is a car service in the Seattle and surrounding area. It's run by an app. You download an app for iPhone or Android, and you can call a car to you. You've seen services like this before, right? Or you've heard of them, or you've used them. Well, Crown Car is local. It's local service, awesome drivers. You can schedule airports in advance with the Crown Car app. Unlike other app-based services, Crown Car can accept cash as well as cashless payments through the app. It's just how you want to do it. So if you have a need to get around one time out on the weekend, if it's something you need for work all the time, if you've got trips coming up and you'd like to schedule airport rides, this is a great way to go. And I know they're a good company. I know Soto's a good guy. If you listen to the episode, you know Soto's a good guy. So why not support Crown Car? They're supporting us. It's, it's a match made in heaven. To get the app on your smartphone so you can contact Crown Car, go to www.blackcrowncar.com. Blackcrowncar.com. Right at the top, there's links for Crown Car free on the App Store for Apple and free on Google Play for Android phones. That's the way to get in touch with them. That's the way to get the app. Download it. Start using them. They are awesome. Second point, I have started up a store on the website, nobody'snose.com. There's not a lot in it yet. I'm putting stuff in there as I go, leftover stuff from excursion, other kind of strange things that I have, mainly stuff that's related to the things we talk about on this podcast. So for example, today's Matt Matsuoka. I have some old 1007 stuff. I've got brand new in the shrink wrap copies of the Chainsaw Orchestra LP. Those are going to go up in there. Copies of my movie are available. And there's also a spot on there where you can donate money to the show if you want to. And that brings me to point number three. We got a donation from a listener. This listener asked to be identified only as Dave. They sent in a very nice donation. I won't embarrass them by saying how much. And I got back in touch and said, what would you like me to say on the show? He said, if I was pressed, I'd say something along the lines of eat plants, read Raymond Carver, listen to catharsis. That's good advice, right? So there you go. There's advice from Dave. He also asked me some other questions about me not about the people that I've been interviewing, and some specifically about this year's Rainfest. And I'm going to go ahead and answer those questions, but I'm going to do it after this episode is over in the outro. So I just wanted to say thanks again. If anyone else were to feel like sending something in, obviously, that would be fantastic. Not necessary. It's a free show, but fantastic. Helps pay for this stuff. Like, I'm still paying off these microphones. They're not even expensive, but you get my meaning. Anyway, The last thing I'm going to say before we start this show is, of the episodes that I've done so far, this is the one you probably wouldn't want to listen to in front of your mom. You might not want to play it out loud at work. If you are offended by crude sex talk, yeah, you're going to be offended by some of the stuff in this episode. That's Matt. And that's, I instigate it. I can't help it. That's our relationship. That's what it's been for all these years. So take that warning. And uh, listen to it, because it's hilarious. All right, here we go. Welcome to episode 13 of I've Known You Too Long. 
lucky number 13. It's a special episode, and we have a special guest today. You are not going to believe who I got in for the episode. It's Mr. President himself, William Jefferson Clinton. Hello. How's everyone doing? I'm a little high. That, uh, that doesn't... <laughs> Your voice sounds a little odd, sir. Yeah, my throat got all fucked up. <laughs> okay, well, I just didn't. I just wanted to I'm see. I'm not how used that... to. I'm not used to smoking through a pipe. What I, can I say? I'm mainly a bong person. It's strange. I don't think most of us have actually heard your voice once you've cleared your throat properly. Yeah, I sound Asian. <laughs> how weird. All right, take it back. Put the brakes on that. Welcome to episode 13 of I've Known You Too Long. This is a special episode. It is the third attempt to get this episode in the can with this guest. My guest today is Matt Matsuoka. Matt Matsuoka sang and played guitar in 1007, Red Rocket, the hit. 1007 was the first record release on Excursion Records, my label, way back in 1990. Matt also is an artist. He worked at the Old Firehouse, which we talked about on this show a lot. He's a key part of that. And he's a filmmaker and a stuntman. And all kinds of other things. We're going to talk about a lot of that. And Matt is also a guy with some interesting ideas. And we're going to get into those today. Like I said, this is the third attempt at this podcast. The first time we had a great, we had a great podcast. We had a great talk. Mike Lang came in. It was good. And it turned out at the end that the mics weren't working correctly. And nothing recorded properly. And we couldn't use it. The audio was horrible. It was not salvageable. So a little bit later... Matt sat back down, and we attempted to do it over again. Matt has a pretty serious BS detector, and being asked the same questions over again just didn't work. It just didn't make for a compelling podcast, and I think it's because it just didn't seem fresh and new. It just seemed like we're going over this again. In fact, I think that gets said a few times. So we're going to go a different direction with this. Before I explain how we're going to do that differently, I want to welcome Matt in. Hello, Matt. Oh, I can talk now? You can talk now, yes. Hello, Dave. <laughs> I hear you do a good, a pretty good Bill Clinton impersonation. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I See, can't normally even... you do, but you don't have it tonight. <laughs> I, I know, because I might, I might be past Bill. I don't know. So essentially, Matt has a scale to know if he's at the right level. Matt smokes a little weed Hillary. legally in Washington State. Hillary. Yeah, you're past it. You don't have it. I don't have it. No, usually Matt knows he's in the right spot when he starts sounding like Bill Clinton. And uh, I thought you sat out there a little too long tonight. Uh, Nate, you should have brought me back in. You should have <laughs> intervened, as they say. Because I didn't know that was my role, Matt. Know your role, Dave. I have to quote The Rock at least once. Wait, know your role? Yeah, that was a, I think that was the thing you used to say. I thought it was like, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? That was another one. He had a lot of them. Okay, so what we're going to do tonight with Matt is I'm going to just, kind of like what I did in the Bill Baker episode, I'm going to tell some stories about Matt that bring us up to date with Matt. And I'm going to let him interject as he sees fit. Because um, generally what we do in this episode is we figure out where my guest and I met. See if we can get it all the way down to a handshake. Then we go back from there, we talk about that person's past, figure out what makes them tick, and then we come forward, we talk about the things that went on in our lives after we met, up to what the person is doing now. The first time was, uh, I was sitting next to Dave in the holding pen, and I, he goes, what are you in for? And I go, oh, shoplifting, what are you in for? And Dave goes, she told me she was 12. Oh, 
Okay. <laughs> and, and, but she looked, you know, she looked like an old 13. And in fact, I, I always wanted to name a band Old 13. See, I'm wait, wait, hold on. When yeah. you say I always wanted to name a band Old 13, is that still what I told you in the holding pen? Or was that you saying you wanted to name a band Old 13? No, I wanted to name a band Old 13. And see, I was We're just supposed to know where you switch? I was bringing it back to episode thirteen. I thought episode you'd appreciate. See, you I, I thought you, I thought you'd appreciate that, but it just went right over your head like so much flying saucer. We're going to be t- doing some flying saucer talk in a little bit. Saucer talk. Saucer. <laughs> that might be your new podcast, Saucer Talk. We're going to talk about saucers. I met Matt in nineteen ninety at a show we put on the Aftermath Hall in Bellingham. It was resolution. 1007, Suspended Animals, Second Nature, and Extremity. And you guys got added to the bill. I don't know how it happened. Uh, yeah, Bill I mean, told me. I still don't know how it happened. Bill told me, hey, this band 1007 is going to play. I don't know how. You guys must have contacted Bill from contacting the back of Maximum Rock and Roll or something like that. Oh, man. Talk about a magazine that just put me on a couple of different roads to ooh. We could talk about roads to ooh. Let's hold that. I'm just going to do the meeting. I walk into the place, you're sitting cross-legged on the mantle of a fireplace in this rental hall, just kind of scoping out, like in a spot in the corner where you could see everyone in the room, which I realize now, now that I've known you for so long, that's kind of your mode of operation. Like you want to see the door and the exits and what's going on in the room. Yeah, because you want to know how to get out of there. Right. And, and that, but I didn't know you at the time. I just walked in and said, oh, there's a guy. Sitting up in a weird place, being strange. Um, Which is ironic, because I was just like, man, I'm in a church full of freaks. It wasn't even a church, but that's... It wasn't a church. It totally looked like a church. To be honest, that front room did look like the foyer to a church. And at some point, it may have been. Or foyer. It was one of those... Hey, is it foyer or foyer? It just depends how pretentious you want to sound. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) Like, uh, no, I think it was probably for rituals. You know, wasn't it a Masonic hall or something? I don't know what it was. Just called the aftermath. Sounds like a place of sacrifice to me. <laughs> so, uh, you guys played that night. Uh, you don't remember this, but you had some guy with long hair with you who was not in the band who stood by you and basically held the microphone in place on the mic stand while you played guitar and sang and basically kept people from running into you. Um, and I thought it, it just it was weird. You don't remember this guy. We used to give people rides all the time in 1007 days. So. so he was just a random? I, I don't remember. So that night, after that Are show. Are you sure it was a dude? I mean, it wasn't just like a real macho looking woman. No, it was a guy. Long hair, but it was a guy. Which is a funny thing for, for either of us to say right now, because we both have butt long hair right now. I don't know if it's to the butt yet. Almost, almost. I'm pulling on mine right now. And it... Your butt hair? Uh, no, the, I'm pulling on my hair to see how far down my back it goes. Oh, I was just like, man, he sure got comfortable. I was him. pulling up, and then I was going to try to see if I could tie it, like a, like tie it like a shoelace. Oh, no, I thought you were <laughs> doing one of those, I'm concentrating, winding my butt hair around my finger kind of thing. Oh, like the way you wind your, your hair on your finger to show that you're like really contemplating an issue? Yeah, but, but it, you do that but with, in your ass. <laughs> that's, yeah, I don't really do that. Oh. Is that something that... Well, no, that's why I thought you just said you were doing <laughs> Okay, that was an eventful night. A lot of things happened that night. A lot of people came together. You ended up at a party at Marie Coach's house. Yeah, with no alcohol. 
man. We were all straight edge, dude. What we didn't know you, we thought, Hey, come on over. We're we're going over. We didn't say party. We said, we're just hanging out. But so many people showed up. It felt like a party. No, no, it was a party. And and I, you know, it was a good scene. Nobody's fault. (laughs) Good scene. Nobody's fault. (laughs) Fuck that man. (laughs) Sorry, Um, Blake. (laughs) So basically you fell in with us. I mean, you felt really comfortable with us, and we felt pretty comfortable with you. You were just. Did a- I feel comfortable, friend? Because I usually don't feel comfortable. Man, I must. I did seriously. I must have been better at faking it back then. Because now I can't pull that off. Yeah, I know. Everybody fucking annoys me now. Yes, but and and all the years that I've known you, which is now like twenty five, you don't always pull that off with people very well. But for some reason, whatever combination of weird Bellingham small town freak we had going on up there worked for you oh and there you, were girls you, you know yeah that's what i was gonna say that's probably what it was because i remember a couple of them looked like they stepped straight out of like penthouse <laughs> okay really <laughs> well i mean okay maybe not like penthouse now but they you were know, back sweet then, nice maybe back then young they, women before they started show, showing the uh insertions is that how the kids say it these days yeah you know back Back when when it was classy. <laughs> You're saying back when Penthouse was classy. Yeah. Before the piss picks. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> Is that is that your Vinnie Barbarito? <laughs> <laughs> I used to read Penthouse when it was classy. <laughs> oh boy. So listen. Cause cause we're hogs and we sweat. Here's what I know. Sandy. Right. You hurt me real bad. You know it's true. I'm hopeless without you. Hopelessly devoted to you. No, that's that's the song that Olivia Newton-John sang. That's not the next line. In You're right. Why did you do that? <laughs> Why did I do what? Hopelessly devoted to you is the in Olivia Newton-John song. Uh, yeah. uh His song was stan- Stranded at the Drive. Yeah, Sandy. It's called Sandy. A fool. Sing it. Come on, go. What will they say? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can't have that in podcast, but whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It it might be covered under fair use. <laughs> it's you a snippet, know. a snippet. Now, um, okay, despite all that, here's what I know. You start- You know, that song, Sandy, it, it, it was about like how they liked to fog on the beach and it would always just get gritty. Because they met at the beach. Yeah. Summer love and so had Sandy, me a blast. So it's ac- yeah. There you go. <gasps> so it it's actually kind of is it a, a double a euphemism? I can't even. remember. You know what though? I think I think the deal is it was it was still just a dry humping situation though. Yeah, but then it would be called gritty. But <laughs> but you can't gritty? name you can't name the the main woman in your movie gritty, unless she was gritty, and then I guess you could. Okay, if we really, because you got to remember though. Like, I wonder where, if that's where the magazine freaks out, came from. She, yeah, I think it is. But <laughs> she freaks out. It came from in sand the, in the vagina. In the drive-in, before she kicks him, before she leaves, before he sings this song, he tries to grab her tit and, and she freaks out. So I don't think they were boning at the beach. I think what he was doing is he was sticking it in the sand. Oh, and, and her name was Sandy because... It, it was make, just it his would nick- make his, his nutsack got all sandy. It was his nickname for her. Oh, her name is Sandra. Sandra D. I think that was a different. No, it wasn't. Look at me, I'm Sandra D. Yeah, but that was just a song. That wasn't the name of. Really, you don't uh, think Sandy in the movie is short for Sandra D? No. Really, 
Yeah, dude, I've got the Grease photo novel. I've read that thing cover to cover. I know this. So the, the photo novel, make sure you understand that while her name is Sandy and there's a song called Look at Me, I'm Sandra D" in the movie, that her name is not Sandra D legally. Yeah. How do they address it in the photo novel? I don't know. You have to suspend your belief. I mean, by the way, he's at a beach with some girl and they're not fucking. I mean, by the way, leave it at the door. I also had the photo novel in grade school. So dude, I've got I've got that one. You Lord still of the have, Rings. You still have. Look for the 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 cartoon version. The Ralph Bakshi one. Yeah, I've got that. Okay. And and I have Battlestar Galactica. Can you sing the songs from the the Lord of the Rings? I don't even. I, what works? <laughs> I don't know. I can't even remember. Okay. All right. Did how much of a corner can we talk ourselves into? That was like we just I talked know, about the fucking Lord of the Rings photo novel, which like three people might have. I know where we are in this story. You come to the party, and then shortly after that, but I you not, start. I did not come at the party. I did not ask. You don't have to tell. They just weren't into Asians. It, racist. It was yeah. Bellingham. Come on. Yeah. Oh, can't we just be friends? You can rub up against me if you want. I don't a... recognize the voice you're doing. I think no. I'm glad. Yeah, apparently <laughs> no. Urkel was at that party in Bellingham, and we dry humped, all right? The female Urkel. Uh, hey, back in the day. Herkel. You, you just never. <laughs> Herk. Wow. Okay, listen. Yeah, you know, I think that, that guy got sick of being called Urkel and stuff because I think he's like a fifth degree black belt now. Oh. Or am I thinking of Emmanuel Lewis? Oh, he died breakdancing in a, in a um, Burger King bathroom. He tried, no. to do a, he tried to do a head spin and he broke his neck. It's, I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom and that's Humpty Hump. Yeah, but that was, but that reference to the Burger King bathroom was in everyone's mind because Emmanuel Lewis died breakdancing in there. Well, that's what everyone thought, but then he was on Celebrity. So basically like. We use the same so references over yeah, and over. Yeah, but I don't know. So what you're trying to say is it's like he was screwing in the bathroom with the corpse of the dead Emmanuel Lewis at his feet. Now that takes concentration. Wait a minute. You're saying that the hump. No, I'm not saying. He's talking saying. about Emmanuel Lewis necrophilia. No, because he's <laughs> on the floor. He wasn't taking part. I mean, I guess it's necrophilia by proxy. Okay. Um. Listen. This is what I expected. I'm going to keep bringing this back. So what ended up happening was... That would be such a good name for metal band. Necrophilia by proxy. <laughs> and, it's, and because like people would always go, necrophilia, gross. And, and all you have to do is go, but by proxy. Oh, and that makes it better? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't, wouldn't the definition of that be necrophilia through someone? So you wouldn't be in direct contact with... They're more of an apparatus than a participant. Or an accessory. Yeah. Ugh. I, I I never thought I'd be talking about Webster necrophilia. Websterphilia. All right, listen. You do... Okay, I'm not even going to go into this. Everybody remembers, if they're old, that everyone thought Emmanuel <laughs> well, Lewis died breakdancing. Um, no, I thought it was the guy from uh, Silver Spoons. Ricky Schroeder? No, the black guy. There was, did, there was what, a black guy I, in Silver Spoons? Yeah, that... That was about rich white kids. Yeah, but he, he was like the token black kid. I mean, he didn't, he wasn't token, but I mean, he was... What was his name? I don't know. Did they have a token Asian? Oh, God. Anyway, only in the Goonies. Um, <laughs> That's, that kid, he is not a token. 
Anyway, uh, he's a hero of the movie, except for the part. Goonies is, I mean, let's be honest, it's a pretty bad movie with really good parts in it. Yeah, I'm sorry. The wishing well scene is is untouchable. This is our time down here. Oh, down right. here it's our time. Yeah. Now I know where you, where you got your inspiration from for your movie. <laughs> it was a gay Goonies. One more thing to put a pin in is that you think my movie has gay themes. We're putting no, a pin it, in that. No, I don't. I think and it's we're going to come it, back to it. It's one big theme. Hold on. We have to get one minute past where I left this. Okay? Hey, man, you can rearrange in editing. In fact, if you there leave it like if you, any editing, if you like it like it, if you leave it like it is, it'll be like a Tarantino thing. You know, everything's all fucking out of order. Okay. So people can, hey, hey, people at home, if you would like to uh, take this file and re-edit it into some order that makes some sense, if you're able to do that, please contact me and let me know how. Now you're all just bunged up. <laughs> you're all stressed. I can tell you're stressed. Matt, you started calling me. I think what you did was you sent me a letter. Dear Dave, with your phone number, your in it. girlfriend is freaking me out. Please have her quit talking to me. Uh, who was that? Who was the girlfriend at the time? That would be Valerie. Val. Val Wonder. Val. Yeah, I wasn't gonna give her full name. That's I didn't okay. Have... We're gonna talk about Val Wonder on the podcast because she's a big part of of this story. Okay, check this out. I would call up Dave, talk to him about getting a show or whatever, and she would. Get on the phone, and then she'd start telling me about their sex life. And I just met Dave. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know you could do that. And then, like, <laughs> it was just, it would just get more and more. And then, like, but I didn't want to be rude, so I just kind of let her talk. And I also learned that uh, her favorite band at the time was the Yeasty Girls. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, that is not a fucking selling point. She sent to look out. She got a uh, Green Day seven inch the first seven inch and she got a yeasty girl seven inch and yeah. learned all the lyrics i think it was you know what and i really could be wrong it could be that jen martinez got those records maybe they sent away together val and jen were, were definitely two people who featured heavily at this point in time in our lives and both of them used to scare the crap out of me in person like you think i, I thought they were totally cool don't get me wrong they're really in your face, and you knew they were there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why they were, I mean, they were front and center, part of what we were doing. Okay, so listen, here's what happened. I think first we sent letters. You sent me a letter. You sent me cassette tape, and I think it was the Pooh demo. Oh, God. You guys had just recorded. It. I thought it was really good, and at the time, I was trying to put together a compilation of Northwest bands. And I wanted to put out a record. I knew I wanted to start a record label. I was going to call it Excursion Records. And I wanted to do a compilation. I reached out to a bunch of bands. Everybody kind of was like, there was a lot of hemming and hawing. And who was I, right? I mean, it's not like I had money to give people to record or anything. No one could commit to anything except you said absolutely anything you need. And I said, well, you know what? You're the only band doing anything. What if we just did a straight up just seven is just for you guys? And you were like, yep, let's do it. Like just boom. And that started my record label, and that started us being in contact with each other all the time. Where I got to hear a lot about his sex life from his girlfriend. <sighs> so, 
the only thing I'm going to say from this time before I give people some background on you and you can either correct me or not is... Oh, and we used to say, because Dave really, really wanted the Nirvana, some Nirvana record on white vinyl. So we were, we'd always say, Val for a night for Nirvana on white. No, see, we didn't all used to say that, but you said it and I believe you made a sticker with that, that on it. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> and that was supposedly, I would trade my girlfriend for the Nirvana Bleach record on white vinyl, which it was worth a lot of money at the time. I believe it's worth substantially more now. Yeah, now, now you're kicking yourself. I would like to point <laughs> out right now, since Val Wonder's probably listening to this, from the very first, when she first heard that you said that, she said, why do you get to trade me for a record? I get the record. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that makes sense, but... You know, Dave, those were different times. You were probably thinking Pimp Hustler, you know, Snoop Dogg days. Oh, wait, no, that wasn't back then. NWA. NWA. I probably wasn't thinking any of it. it. We were just like dealing with your sense of humor, which we were just beginning to get to understand. Or as much as one can. Wow. I sound deep. All right. So Matt came from Virginia. Matt grew up in Virginia on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. All right. He went to school there. I can't get... I tried this on the other two recordings of episodes. I can't get a lot of information from Matt about what he was like as a child other than... And people that know Matt, this is not going to come as a surprise. Other than his early drawings of naked people. No, Dave. See, you're making it sound just gratuitous. Really? I was in... Is it preschool? I think I was in preschool. When... uh. I got sent to the corner for drawing a person, a stick figure, urinating on another stick figure. And I thought it was funny. And you thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. And you got in trouble in school for drawing a stick figure, pissing on another stick figure. Mm-hmm. This, I think, informs the whole rest of your life up until this very night. Yeah, but I, I branched out into poo as well. But I wasn't good at drawing squiggles back then. That was something I learned when I was five. Squiggle drawing was the only thing that kept you from being able to draw poo in your stick figure. Yeah, because I would draw like the stick figure and then draw just sticks for the poo. And people would always go, God, why is there Mr. Salty Pretzels coming out of the guy's butt? And I'd get pissed off. And that's fucking shit, God damn it. I mean, I wouldn't say it, but that's probably what I was thinking. When you were four. Yeah. All right. So that's the kind of kid Matt was. He... Grew up going to school, Virginia. Before he left and moved out here, uh, what was the reason that your family moved out here? Oh, dad retired and probably just wanted to get away from uh, D.C. Dad retired and wanted to get away from D.C. Matt came in contact with the D.C. music scene. I personally am kind of jealous of some of the stuff that Matt had an early uh, uh, connection with. You knew some guys uh, that played in a band called Kids for Cash. Yeah, I didn't know they were such a big deal. It was kind of funny. It's just I don't know that was, they're a big deal, but there's a record. I mean, I had yeah. the record. It's it's something from that world from that time. Yeah, I just I had met him through a friend of mine that I was staying with, and uh, it was one record, and I go yeah, sure. And I think and it was like three bucks. Oh yeah. And you went with these guys to see Scream. Yeah, and Kingface. Scream and Kingface in what year? Eighty six. Eighty six or eighty seven. So eighty six or eighty seven. Yeah. And you saw, did you see any other shows with any of those bands around that time? Uh, I can't remember, <laughs> honestly. I don't, 
I can't remember a lot of stuff from last week, let alone that far back. Well, I know. And that's why I'm kind of narrating your life because <laughs> we, we spent a lot of time kind of dredging this stuff up and I just want to get through it because we've got some interesting stuff to talk about. I think have I, have I, do you feel like I have misrepresented young Matt? You didn't say much, but <laughs> I didn't say much yet. You get in some trouble though. No, just wandering around and lighting random fires. I mean, wandering around and lighting random fires. Well, okay, fine. Uh, and you I did was shit. No, no, you didn't I was get caught. For, I was right? walking around and lighting fires. That in my mind were for a reason. I shouldn't say <laughs> random. Oh, it was just random when other people watched you. Well, when they'd find them, they'd just randomly walk up on them. Were these like fires in the street, or were, you, were they structure fires? What were you lighting on fire? Oh man, think of something. I probably burned it. <laughs> um, I actually didn't. We didn't talk about this. I didn't know you were early young pyro. How did you well, break no, I wasn't the habit? A, I wasn't really a pyro. You think walking around Virginia lighting random fires well, doesn't I mean, make you a pyro? I'd always have something like gasoline or rubbing alcohol or gunpowder or something. It wasn't like I was just lighting it with a match. So okay, it so was just, more. It was just science. So we're clear. So just, it was science. Just so we're clear, you objected to me calling you a pyro, but you wanted to make sure that I understood that you weren't just lighting fires. You had an accelerant. Yeah. So so it it was. Do you? It was chemistry. It was science. Okay. You understand how this sounds? Yeah, I'm totally bullshitting. I, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like to watch shit burn. What can I fucking say? <laughs> okay. Um. Did you wear a trench coat? No. You never wore a trench coat. Uh, not until I was older. But then you did wear a trench coat later on. Yeah, but that's because I always had uncontrollable erections. <laughs> okay, listen, um, what was your, what would you say your, uh, You can keep that in, Dave. You better believe it. And I can still get a lot of random erections. Great. I mean, at your advanced age, that's good. You don't need any kind of chemical advanced help. Advanced age. Oh my God. <laughs> well, what a guy it is. Thank, thanks for, for killing the 21 and under pussy for the rest of my life. Wait, <laughs> When a guy around my age has to brag about being able to get erections, I think maybe, you know, maybe you've discovered Viagra or something. No, it's just my dick. <sighs> when, uh, it's a lully dick. <laughs> no gold one dick. Is, no one is going to understand that reference. Dick of gold. At all. Dick of gold. <laughs> but the people that do... Are just going to fucking freak I'm out. I'm pretty stoked right now. He's like, I had a lovely dick. <laughs> lovely dick. Uh, what's that from, Matt? Explain to people what that's it's from. It's from, was it Uncle? What was this? It was just a, it, it was, was random. Like It was just a video called the four hour videotape. That's all. It just said four hours on it. Ron made it for me. It was four hours of just nightmarishly horrific video stuff that tape traders would trade prior to the internet. Oh, and it had Uncle Goddamn yeah. on it. See, uh, that makes thinking. sense now because, man, it was not a cohesive work. No, it was not a cohesive yeah. work. It had horrible things. Steve, it had the Bud Dwyer Steve Vai. Steve Vai, I'm making my pussy sing for you. That that woman. It had the videotapes of a woman who used to film herself and then send the tapes in to Steve Vai. So she was talking to Steve Vai, and at one point she lit a candle on a cupcake and blew it out, not using her mouth. Using her vagina. Thank you for clarifying that. You know, you can let people's minds sit with this stuff and figure out what we're talking about. Flapping them legs like a sail in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Christopher Cross. Didn't he do sailing? So with Sailing. That's what it was about. 
flapping labias, sailing. You never knew that. Now you do. You also earlier tonight You're told welcome. me that's where the name flapper came from. Yep. Flapping labs, 1920s. And you know why? Because it was humid back then, and, and it would cause the, uh, the labia to stick on the leg like a fruit roll-up in the sun. And you're beginning to understand how my format doesn't work. What? <laughs> no, hey, I'm, it, th- I was talking to, to the people listening, if they still are. Oh, the 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 fodians, <laughs> the fodians. Yeah, the the faux audience. Yes, that's probably true. Now, um, the dick of gold comment was a guy who comes up to a car window and says a bunch of amazing stuff that this person filmed. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I didn't come up with that. No, I, I don't so, want to. I'll be walking around the. Hey, I, you totally ripped me off, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that guy's still out there worried about. Yeah, it. I'm sure that guy's still like alive. Okay. You move to the Seattle area because your father retires mm-hmm. from working in the D.C. area. He was in some kind of top-secret government shit, I'm oh, assuming. Oh, God, let's not talk about that, Dave. Okay. It's going to play into some of the stuff we're going to talk about later. I think you've got some inside information. Oh, God. Okay, keep going. So when you get out here... I will neither confirm nor deny. You start playing music. Mm, I played music You played music out there, too? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't call it music because the drummer played boxes. You had to make a drum set out of cardboard boxes. Well, he did. He did. Mm -hmm. In order to be... He actually became a pretty good drummer. So all you beginning drummers... If you're so desperate that you build a drum set and and because you just have to do it, I expect you to become a good drummer. Yeah, it was great because you break a drum head and you just go find a box. You couldn't just fix it with duct tape? Or duct tape. Well, no, that's only if you... Lived in the good part of town. Oh, you couldn't afford duct tape. Yeah, that, that's how raw, raw I was back in the day. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so you played back there, but you moved to Seattle. I We're... didn't really, we didn't really write any songs. I remember playing a lot of government issue covers. <laughs> government issue, but see, that's, that's cool. And you, when I first met you, like the first time I came to your house, you played a whole bunch of Misfit songs for me too on guitar. Was that something that you used to learn how to play guitar? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. Oh man, that's good weed. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, misfits. Yeah, played some misfits. Okay, so you move out here to Seattle. You start trying to play music with people. You had some and interesting it's, it's encounters. The misfits that Glenn Danzig was in, not not Jim and the not Jim and the holograms. holograms misfits. misfits. Yeah, I just wanted to make that clear because they aren't they doing a live action gem? Yeah, but it's not. It's 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 not like superhero gem. It's just like a. It's ba- you know what they're doing. They're basically you know remember that Josie and the Pussycats movie that came out like twelve years ago. It looks like it's just that movie again. Oh God, we didn't need that one on the first go around. Yeah, but do you remember it had the albino guy in the end though? It was pretty awesome. Is, don't aren't you supposed to call us al- albinism or something now? Like albino is supposed to be the non PC way of, you know. At some point, I mean, I don't know. It's all fucking white. At to me, some but. point, I'm gonna reach that point that like my father's generation reached, where they they thought they were saying the nice thing when they were saying colored, and they just were unwilling to go any further. Dave, don't use that. No, but that's, you know what I mean? Like at some point, like you just break down and can't do it anymore. Well, and also like literally if albino is an insult now, I, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, but you don't. Another thing is you don't have to. There's not like a lot of albino. You're not going to have like the albino army chasing after you. You'll have like you know the guy from the Matrix and Edgar Winter, and that's about it. Those are the albinos I have to worry about. Well, those are the only ones I could think of right <laughs> off the bat. Famous albinos. You know what? I, they're hey, if anyone's listening to this and you know the word that I should be using instead of albino and you want to educate me, I'm not at that point yet. I can learn a new word. I can get up to speed. So I just like whitey. What whitey just covers a whole gamut. Like it, you know, it it, it can pretty much count for anything. You know, Matt Matsuoka says I like whitey. I didn't say anything about liking Whitey, but I don't I don't dislike Whitey any more than I dislike everyone else. So I guess that's, you know, something, which is nice. <laughs> Thank you, Bill Murray. Yeah. The email address is on the site, nobody'snows.com. Go on there, send in your correction. Oh, tell me what like, word I should be using instead of albino. And And if you're just one albino, don't be sending him a bunch of mail from all these different IP addresses because if there's a huge amount we know there's not a huge amount of albino so you're actually concerned that a single albino is going to try to fake a crowd of offended albinos over this podcast well that's what I would do if I was a singular of anything but if you were a singular of anything well I mean you gotta think I mean is is al being an albino run in the family. I don't I don't see I don't know a lot about it. Educate me, albinos of the world. Okay. You started playing music in the Northwest. You didn't play in ten oh seven at first. You had a band before ten oh seven. Yeah. What was it called? Oh, Amy Grant's bondage band. Amy Grant's bondage band. And I, I probably not, not offensive at all. I probably didn't even know what bondage was back then. How old were you? Seventeen? Eighteen? Seventeen. No, I no, I knew what bondage was at seventeen. Because you were hanging out with like New Era girls and stuff, right? Goth girls, precursor goth girls. Uh, if if I hang out with them, you mean like being in the same room and not fucking? Yes. Ah, okay. Thank you, Dave, for bringing that one up. <laughs> painful Is that years. Painful. <laughs> <laughs> it it probably well, was well, to I me just back thought, then. Hold on, I just want to make sure that I I get to say this one clearly. I just thought that one of them might show you the ropes. Oh my god. I totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it's that thing where the, it, it it's all stringy come on the person's face. Wow, that's the that's the ropes? Yeah, cuz I saw the ad for We th- were talking about bondage. Oh no, I meant <laughs> I this, there's this ad and I saw that was talking about getting ropes and it was like it was to make your cum really thick. So you can totally, like, I guess when you blast one on someone's face, it just comes out looking like silly string. And I didn't, I see, I didn't realize that was a benefit. What were you looking for when you found that ad? I don't know, pictures of naked women. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, what do you look for when you run across sex ads? Oh, don't answer that. (laughs) Okay. Um, When I'm perusing the... Nambla classifieds, the Namblifieds, I like to refer to them as. You're getting a little Clintonian with the Nambla oh, no. stuff. Man. How's your Clinton now? How's your Clinton? Oh, I don't know, Hillary. It's getting a little bit better. I think you're coming down a little bit. We might be able to have a real conversation here pretty oh, soon. That's... Yeah, okay. <laughs> you wish upon that star, Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> okay. After Amy Grant's Bondage Band, did you guys ever play a show? <laughs> 
Yeah, we played one show with, oh man, uh, with some other bands. You played a show with some other bands. <laughs> yeah. It was at a party. Was it at a hall? Was it a concert? What was it? I'm thinking it was at Washington Hall. Oh, really? Yeah, it it was a real shitty place. Like it was really run down. Yeah. But I think so. Who were the other guys in Amy Grant's bondage band? Oh, just people from my high school, I think. Yeah. Were, was Jeff Ganson in the band? No. So I want to know, because Jeff Ganson is who you play in 1007 with. Yeah, I didn't play music with him until after high school. So you graduate high school. You had you were Amy Grant's bondage band in high and, school. Oh my God, I just remembered that I was in the band with Jeff in Spanish class. When, that's how we met. We were in the same Spanish class. Jeff Ganson and you were in the same Spanish class? Yeah. What was your Spanish name? Mateo. What was his? Jefe. Those are specific memories, sir. I like that. Uh, it it's was like you too... can remember in another language. Uh, that's, that was just weird. Okay. So, and you're right. It wasn't too hard. Mateo and Jefe does kind of make sense. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you know, Fendejo or something. All right. So, but you guys didn't play music together. No. Soto and I talked about Jeff a little bit on the show. Talked about the Jeff's contribution to 1007 and the sound that he brought to the band when you started playing with jeff that started something that lasted for a number of years you guys put out a lot of records together you played a ton of shows together was there what like how did that go like how did you guys decide to get together and play and how did you know that was going to work man we must have been really fucking bored that's all i can think (laughs) i am like i guess we just like the same kind of music and and we'd go to shows and I didn't have a driver's license, so he'd give me a ride to shows. So So it was perfect. Yeah. But Matt, you don't get along with everyone. And you got along well with Jeff. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, which is weird because back then I was, I don't see how you'd be able to handle me. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not as calm as I am now. The only part that was hard to deal with you back then, because shortly after this, you and I became friends, is that. And I don't know that things are much different now, although they are a little bit better with the advent of technology, but or like the like cell phones and Google Maps and things. But you could never find your way anywhere. No, and I still can't. Like you, there is no, no one else no, in the world no, 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 you're that ta- has this lack of direction. No, you're talking to the guy that went to the Crocodile Cafe, which is a club downtown, parked a block away, and it took him 45 minutes to find his car after the show. Right. So when I first came down... And, and it was by chance. When we came down to stay with you the very first time, we drove down and it was myself and Val and Mike Mitchell. I think maybe Jen Martinez. Mm. I don't know if Jen came along on that trip, but we... I don't st- think she did. But we stayed over at your house. However, we met you at the show with Jawbreaker at the party hall. This was Jawbreaker on the Unfun Tour. Afterwards, we interviewed Jawbreaker. I think Ten of Seven played the show. Oh my, that's the one where they were, you guys were all talking about crack the whole time. They were definitely talking about crack. <laughs> Big boulders. <It's, laughs> Big I think boulders. that was the that was the phrase. But that was the night we met them, mm-hmm. and afterwards, you're gonna ride with us. We're gonna stay at your house, and it was like that scene in Say Anything where they're gonna give the guy who's got the last set of keys dude's key master lloyd dollar's key master dude i didn't have i did not have orange hair like you didn't have orange hair but we said how do you get to your house and you said i don't know just drive 
I'll tell you when something looks familiar. And okay. we were in Seattle and you were out in Bellevue and we didn't know how to get at so the I, time. We didn't understand how to get from that part of Seattle across water and out to Bellevue. We so didn't I, didn't, know, I didn't even mention a bridge or anything. I think you did, but we didn't know how to get to the bridges oh. and we didn't, we didn't have a map and there was no internet. There was no cell phones or nothing. So we basically drove around until you said, I think you get on, on this bridge. And I think we went across I-90 and not 520. Regardless, once we got to Bellevue, then we had to drive around until we found basically the road that went out to your house. Yeah, that sounds like something I did. And then and as we got closer, you got more sure of yourself because you were kind of recognizing stuff. But we were just like, oh, my God, how how do we, not, you know, because we thought we were good. We thought we didn't have to prepare for figuring out where to go because we'd meet you at the show and you'd tell us where to drive to. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. And that's but see. Right after that, I realized, okay, I have to know where I'm going when I'm driving somewhere with Matt or when I'm coming. And so it was just, it was, it was one of those things you learn from. It's not like we didn't have fun. We had a good time. So we ended up staying at your place. Okay. Was that, that the weekend. time when, I, when you and I like pushed the guy into the hide a bed and got him stuck in it? That was one of the weirdest fucking things I'd ever seen up I to thought, that point. Was I not the guy in the hide a bed? Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, oops. Yeah, I guess it was you. Never mind. Matt had a hide a bed, and I thought it was me. I thought the hide a bed got closed on me at one point. Maybe it was. I don't know. I just remember closing someone up in a hide a bed. It would have been you and Mike doing that. Oh. Was... And Mike was drumming, and you were playing guitar, and you were. That was when you were doing misfit songs, and you guys were playing misfit songs, and we ended up doing some of that. We had like a little like not a band practice. Session yeah, but how how the hell did you end up in in the, not on the hide a bed, but inside where the springs and shit are? I don't know. We were just screwing around. So the point is, though, you didn't drive at the time, but you did drive later. You got a car and a driver's license, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it only took me two tries. It only took you two tries Two tries to get the license? Yeah, it wasn't as bad as it sounds. I got like a, you had to pass, you had to get a 70, I got a 68. Right, but that's stuff like stop correctly at the stop sign, put your blinker on, turn, parallel park back around this corner. Well, I mean, they didn't like me driving down the sidewalk when I was trying to parallel park. They, did, they didn't say correctly navigate to this location. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think after a while you um, figured out how to get like from where you were living to work to key places. Like you knew how to drive from your apartment to, to zones, to zones <laughs> in Bellevue. And then from there you could get to the old firehouse in Redmond. Um, dude, like it took me a year to not get lost going to the old firehouse. And like, just for the record, it took longer than that for Courtney Love, but granted she was on heroin at the time. <laughs> okay. Now, you're doing 1007. I'm putting out this 1007 7 inch. Spackle and Grout is the name of the 7 inch. It's the first record on Excursion. So now we're basically in contact all the time. And you start this strange habit of calling me at night when you know I'm going to be asleep. Do you remember this? No. You For a while, you did it all the time. Was I doing it on purpose? Yes. Or, or? No, because you, you figured out that I went to sleep. I would usually watch like Arsenio Hall and then fall asleep partway through the show. And at some point, I would reach up and turn off the TV because I had the TV within reach Arsenio of my bed. Hall. That's usually one of the last things I would see before I'd fall asleep because I had to get up early and go to work in Bellingham. Well, and you used to like to go, woof, woof, woof. I don't really remember that part. Well, in my mind, you did. That's fine. Okay. But 
I had my telephone within reach. I've, I have learned my lesson on this, and you are the one who taught me the lesson on this. My telephone was in reach of the bed. So if someone called me at midnight at 1230. Uh, I used wh- to call you at 1230? Yes. Be, I'd be pissed. Yes, because I would answer the phone asleep. I didn't wake up all the way before I picked the phone up and I'd put oh, yeah, the receiver up. That's when you used to say funny shit too. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I would not be awakened by the ring of the f- telephone. I would be awakened oh. by squeals of laughter from you coming through the phone receiver. And I'd be like, what is going on? And you'd just be like, do you know what you just said? <laughs> no. And you'd just laugh and you'd be out of breath and you couldn't tell me. Wow. You did that sometimes three or four times a week. And eventually I put the phone far enough away from the bed that I would have to like crawl out to it because I'd wake up enough before I picked it up. Because I, apparently I would answer the phone in my sleep. Yeah, you'd just say weird random shit. Do you remember anything? It was usually about sex. Really? You didn't instigate that? What do you mean instigate? Well, instigate, Matt. I mean, Dave, <laughs> you got to admit it. Back in the day, you used to always want to talk about sex. Are you sure that it wasn't you? <laughs> you, me, potato, potato, who gives a fuck? Give me one quick second. Got to take a quick pause here. All right, I'm back. What are you doing? Oh, you eating taco? Yeah. Oh, great. It's recording while I'm eating taco. <laughs> all right. So you said that back then I used to want to talk to you about sex all the time. Was I seeking advice from you? No, you just go, Val, get the finger out of my ass. I'd Not like, again. I'd like it to hurts. Have, I'd like to have something I could leave in the podcast. Didn't she used to do like her an impersonation of E.T. and go, Allie, and stick a finger up your ass? I recall that story. And then so... For like no, Matt, five what you're recalling is the shit that you would say, that you would make up, and then say it so many times that you believed it was real. Yeah, and then like <laughs> bring on the heart light would come, come on the radio, and Dave would just start shaking. Okay, what radio <laughs> station would bring on the heart light? Turn on your heart light, come on. Oh, that's right, turn on the heart light. I don't know. Easy listening. Dave is really into easy listening. Matt's voice has gone kind of wonky because he's eating a, a uh, Jack in the Box taco now while we speak. And the wrapper. So you, he actually did just take a bite of the taco with some wrapper in it. Um, what that taco cost you? What's a Jack in the Box taco cost these days? I don't know. About a good three or four feet of my intestine. <laughs> this episode brought to you by... Colon Flow. When you need your colon to flow, get colon flow. Not a member of FDIC. <laughs> but, okay, so just so we're clear, colon flow is not a member of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. No, it just involves uh, leaving a deposit. Okay, it all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Okay, you used to call me. I don't know how much of what you said about what I supposedly said I'm going to be able to leave in the podcast. That's okay. Um, no, Matt's eating fries. This all is going to come through on the mic, so okay, people I'll hear just, weird noises. I, I just, just want to. I'll, I'll just eat this and then. Let's see. What was another one? Oh, just uh, was something. This is something else I said on the phone. Yeah. Oh, stop! I don't want to put on the Princess Leia outfit again, because Val used to like dressing up as Yoda, and <laughs> and she would make Dave uh, dress up like Princess Leia. 
Now, that's some real non-canon stuff because Princess Leia never encountered Yoda. Dude, I wouldn't want to put that stuff on the screen. I can, you know, I mean, it, it, that would be just traumatizing to the kids. Hey, when you saw it dress up like Leia, um, you're not talking about what people standard think is the is the slave outfit. Was it like the Leia sl- the snowsuit, or was it like the original white like sheets? No, yeah, it was the original one with the buns on the side of the head because Val said it she'd get a better grip on you. Okay, that's I'm great. So, I'm sorry, Dave. Did I hit a sore spot, <laughs> so to speak? <laughs> that's okay though. It's better if you just go too far and then I back it off. Again, so to speak. See, I serve them up. You hit him home. Is that how that? That's not how that works. I just mixed up my sports. I hit him home. I hit him home. You hit him home. No, I hit him out of the. I would hit him out of the park if I hit it home. If I served it up though, that would be like a volleyball thing. You don't hit it out of the park. Well, now, now it just sounds like pitching and catching. And hit it home isn't right. You, I said it. You spike it. How's that? That's why I think what we're supposed to be. How about? I'm gonna knock my balls into your cheap seats. Is that better? Many a night, Matt would say, I'm looking for the cheap seats. I'm aiming. I'm shooting for the cheap seats. I'm shooting for the cheap seats, and I'd be, I'd know that you would want to go down south. You'd want to hit Tequila, <laughs> oh, Fife. <God>. Ew. <laughs> the Java Jump, you'd want to see, you'd want to cruise for, what did you call, what did you call that back then? Um, it was your South End Slush Fund or something? You, you, now it's all about getting ash. <laughs> getting ash? <laughs> yeah, the. Ladies that are really old, so when you fuck them, they kick up the ash. It looks like Mount St. Helens. You know, because their skin is dry and flaky down there, I guess. Okay. I mean, the couple that I've been with, you know, used a lot of uh, moisturizers and emollients, so they didn't have that ash kick up, but... The few Helens you've been with? Mount St. Blew out her side. What? What I say, Mister Carter? It sounded like you know that that famous uh, film of the guy escaping the eruption. You can just hear him breathing and running the whole time for like. Oh right, yeah. Right. That's it, what it sounded like. Yeah, but it was it was mainly her with the oxygen mask, <laughs> and you know the occasional defib, defibrillator. <laughs> no, I got I got it with I got it with defib. Got that, got that a gutter the defib. <clears throat> I hope- She's feeling lightheaded. Gotta get her with the defense. Now let's. I'm gonna step out of this for a minute. If you've been coming along with me here, this is the map that I know. This is a an accurate representation of our relationship, and that's why I'm doing this episode this you, way. You make it sound so sorted. You're not getting a ton of information, but you are getting a real well, version of Matt Dave, Motswoke, the I way live, I know him. I live a pretty boring life. I mean, we're not up to that part yet. No, I I've always had. <laughs> it was it was interesting back then. You were in a band that toured the country. Woo woo. <laughs> woo woo. Yeah. I mean, that's a little more interesting than what a lot of other people have done. Matt, you're not well, no, a boring guy. No, but uh, no, I am. It's just other people around me just keep the bar really low. So I mean, you know, how hard is it to hurdle a breadstick? Fuck. I'm going to move this along. You do that too. Just just to link it to some of the other podcasts we've done, I want to talk about the old firehouse and your involvement in the old firehouse. 
I know that 1007 was an Eastside band, and Eastside bands were prominently featured at the old firehouse. And unlike a lot of people that worked at the old firehouse, I never actually fucked on site. So you're not a member of the club? No, I'm not. Now, let me ask, let me just ask this one question. Technically, did it have to be in the tower? No. It could some, be any, I think it could have been anywhere in the building. Anywhere in the building. Dude, I wouldn't have wanted to fuck someone in the tower. Uh, that thing was so full of pigeon shit, you would have probably slipped. You put your hand down on the railing and it's like, oh, you're already done? <laughs> That's, that is actually what I was looking for. So now we'll move on. How did you get involved with working at the no, old firehouse? I, no, it was a lot of pigeons, Dave. I mean... You want to go back to what we were talking There were a lot of pigeons up there. There was a lot of pigeon shit in the uh, tower at the old firehouse. Oh, my God. It looked like a black and white painting. Now, you went up there. I know that you were up there because you filmed part of your movie Heartbreak Beat in that tower. And you used to drink up there. And you used to drink up and, there. In retrospect, not the best place to drink... You'd climb up in an, old old, in an old tower, drink Old Crow with and the pigeons. where the only way you could get up there was by a ladder, which, you know, was painted over and over again with, like, some kind of all-covered latex stuff that was real slippery. Right. And no one ever fell down. I don't remember, Dave. I mean, I got down somehow. I'm here. You've fallen through some shit before. I've seen it. Well, I... I'm sure I, I I would have had to have fallen off that ladder at least a couple times, but there were a lot of boxes of toilet paper and stuff, so it probably would have broken my fall. Oh, so the bottom of this thing was just like a storage closet. Yeah. It was a tower that went up. It was an old tower because it was part of this old firehouse. Mm-hmm. Matt, how did you get involved with working at the old firehouse? Uh Oh, my band played there. And then- 1007 played some really great shows at the old firehouse. Yeah, and uh, I just, I, Kate gave me a job at- I was looking for a job. At the Kate time. gave you a job. Do you remember what year that was? Was it was it the early part of the old firehouse? Was it say halfway through 1993? Mm, yes. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> you, you you honestly have no idea. I mean, looking I'm, at I'm your not, face, I'm not good with dates, Dave. It was somewhere in the 90s. <laughs> it was during 1007, though, right? It, it it was pre 911. Yeah. But okay, this actually could be a way to date it. Were you still in 1007 when you started working at the firehouse? No, I was in Red Rocket because uh, Eric worked with me. So, 1007 ended in the end of 1994. Does that sound right? Sure, Dave. Early 95. Yeah, man, you would have think it would have made a, more of an impression on me, but I can't fucking remember. All right, so Red Rocket is your band after 1007. The the firehouse had been going for a good year if not more by the time you start working there. What was your job at the old firehouse? Uh at one point I was painting the walls and at another point I was being a janitor and then I started helping her book shows and uh so you literally worked your way up from janitor I would, no, to booker. No, no I, th- th- this needs to be an American story. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It was not moving up, Dave. It was not moving I, no, up. No, not when you get demo tapes from bands called Pubic Fallout. <laughs> okay, hold on. And the Wankin' Teens. It, it's just not, it's not fun. So you think that helping with booking was a step down from cleaning the toilets? Oh, yeah. Because at least with cleaning the toilets, I didn't have to deal with all these fucking dumb shits. Just actual shits. Yeah. I mean, I can handle the upfront shits because you open up the bowl you know what's coming, and then you just need to get it out. But with the bands, it was just, you never knew when that shit was going to come and hit you. 
Okay, so during this time, your bands are also playing. And, what, and, and I'd, but what I learned, which is amazing, is that I'm one of the few, or not I am now, but I was one of the few people that played music as well as do other stuff. But most of these people, that's all they did was play music. So when you told them their band sucked, it was like, you know, you were killing their world. and, and uh, They had nothing else? And they had nothing else. I mean, it's like, oh, great, I got to go home to nothing. Thank you. Mr. Booker, man. No wonder people hated me so much. Before 1007 broke up, you got when you guys played out there with the old firehouse, there'd be some big crowds. There were some pretty influential shows. You guys got known for two things. Making a huge mess when you played. It and- was art, Dave. It was performance art. <laughs> and having dancers on the stage. How did you end up with John Pettibone as a 1007 dancer? It was John Pettibone and Steve Samples, right? Yeah. Is that his real name? Yeah. Steve Samples? Yeah, I didn't think it was his real name either, because I used to call him Seaman Samples all the time. Why wouldn't you? Seriously, I mean, why not hit me over the head and write it on it? Okay. So how did you end up with those two dudes as dancers on the side of the stage when you played? Um, I just thought it would be funny, and they thought it would be funny too. It was good. It was fun. It was pretty hilarious. It was hard to uh, concentrate on playing. <laughs> and for a while, well, you were laughing a lot during those shows. And you can see that, actually, in, in a lot of the photos. A lot of times, there's this, like, maniacal grin on your face, or you're just looking away from the mic and your guitar, and you can tell that you're in your mid-laugh, which is definitely makes those photos kind of fun. I'll put some of these photos up so people can see what I'm talking about. And I already did, actually. I think you're in some photos on Soto's page. Hey, well, I hope I'm proper. I hope I'm clothed. Yeah, you you were always clothed. You never got. I never saw Matt run around naked at a show. No, I didn't go to Bellevue High or or Lake Washington. That's where kids got naked. It sure seemed that way. Um. Plus, you were an adult. You were a grown up man. At I this was a grown ass man. Right. So getting naked and going to high school might have been a problem. Not on the East Side. They're they're pretty uh like pedophilia central. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't remember that school. <laughs> Pedophilia, you. All right. So, and then you guys, there became this thing where you had to one up. You had you weren't one upping another band. You were one upping yourself. So escalation. It was an escalation. Yeah. So one one show you'd throw. Well, you'd light fireworks off on the stage at the end of the set, and the next time it's like a thousand tortillas are going out into the crowd and getting thrown back out at you. Oh, you know, I think I I it was I didn't light them off. I wired them. You, wait, you you wired the fireworks? Yeah, and, and I they were set off with a battery. I was pretty proud about that. So you don't want someone to think you had to light a fuse? No, no. It, it That's was, offensive to you. Yeah. This was some I had a Dave, I had shit. I had a rig. Dave, I had a rig. I had a fucking rig. No matches or lighter for me. I had a fucking rig. I'm proud of you. Yeah. And I think everybody is listening is is impressed right now. Well, that's what I live for, impressing other people. Because <laughs> damn it, if I don't have likes on my page, then fuck, I'm just dead in the water. So here's the question I have about all those shows where you would end it with smoke, fire, or you would have completely messed up the venue, whether it was the old firehouse or the Bellevue Y, because you had a pretty impressive show at the Bellevue Y with silly string and uh, shaving cream. Shaving cream, and n- let's not forget two... F- 
huge ass inflatable monkeys from my roommate's two, store. Two huge inflatable monkeys. I don't. I, I think that's where we found them. We found them in the back of the store he worked at. Can I? Oh yeah, dude. Let's he inflate said, these monkeys. They were fun. They were and they were bouncing around like a beach ball at, and, at but, an outdoor but, concert. But, but, but they tore the shit out of them and these skinned. <laughs> like it's basically these gorilla skins come flying back up on the stage, and and I think one like more Pettibone was wearing like the skin of one of them. He may well have been like <laughs> like kittens at an Aussie concert. Yeah, something like that. Only you know these were monkeys and they were fake. What kind of talking to did you get from these promoters or from the people responsible for cleaning these places? Um. The the person who probably would should have been telling me to tone it down uh, actually thought it was pretty funny. It's like because uh, Kate Kate liked it, I think, or at least she seemed like she did. But her but all the other people were just like, oh, we gotta fucking clean all this shit up again. I thought maybe what was happening is you were already the janitor, so you were just cleaning up your own. Well, mess. yeah, later later I was. Yeah, well, I noticed that you didn't do a lot of that in Red Rocket, probably because you were responsible for the mess. Um, that and man, we used to drink like crazy in that band. In Red Rocket? Yeah. Oh my God. No, we went on tour. Um, we have a tour story that we have to tell about. I went on tour with you guys. We went out with Serpico, Sleeper, but they changed the name to Serpico. Um, we'll get to that though, because that's got some real alcohol content to it, among other things. <laughs> uh, question for you before we leave. No here. food. Before. <laughs> Six beers and a <laughs> bottle of Jack Daniels. Wait, that's. Yes, there is that. And playing cards of the naughty kind. Now listen, before we leave the old firehouse, we have to talk about one issue. And that is the nightlife concert poster calendar. Dave? That you drew. I believe I don't have the single most foggiest clue what you're talking about. That's okay. I told people I would narrate your life and then you could chime in. So here's what it was. It was a calendar that was going to show the next three months of shows at the uh, old firehouse. Um, is that correct? Three months? I believe so. Okay. And there was a really cool picture of some animal people. It was like a little dog person and a fox person or something. Chimeras, I believe they call them. Chimer- yeah. Smart, smart people would call them that. And they were standing outside in the rain underneath an organic gazebo. That's probably the best way I can describe well, they, it. No, and with curtains and stuff. It occurred, but, but it was the idea is they were sheltered from the elements. And there was sort of moisture running down the outside of the supports on either side of the gazebo. I, I think there were lights, Dave. Okay, you drew it, but it kind of had this like clamshell looking mushroom kind of weird top thing. I mean, it was this isn't something that exists in the world. This is something straight out of your imagination. And it looked cool, and these were folded into uh into a quarter size and mailed out. And there were thousands of these things made. So they could be sent to all the people in in Redmond, is yeah, that what it was? Yeah, the city, the parks department printed them. Did they make 3,000 or did they make 6,000? I don't know. Somewhere in that range? Sure. Could be more? Could be more, could be less. So these started well, no, showing because, up. Well, they destroyed a bunch of them. So <laughs> these... I, it could be limited edition. Who knows? They Now, they didn't destroy them because they overprinted them. They destroyed them because of your artwork? Well, no. They destroyed them because some 
somebody's mom fucking found it and they called now, it wait a the minute, venue. Now, hold on. Now, hold on. This nice picture of these little animals no, outside okay. in the rain with a calendar on I their sent a trap. <laughs> this, why would a mom see that and get upset? And that actually is the key to this question. Well, it's, like, what, it's, what it is, it's weird that she would be folding it like a mad magazine. So what ended up happening is if you had this 11 by 17 poster and you folded it in, not even like in half, you folded it in like the way you used to do a mad magazine fold in on the, the back, page. on the back yeah, page, page, the sides of the gazebo thing would come together with the top and make what looked astoundingly like some sort of really throbby knobby penis with stuff running down running down from the tip down the side it was a hundred percent by chance hundred percent by chance mm-hmm. you're saying so you were not hiding dicks in artwork <laughs> that you're, you're no because as i explained back then that stuff tripping out of the end of what dirty people mind dirty minded people think was a dick it was black and the last time I checked, my cum isn't black, so it couldn't have been a dick. It wasn't. It wasn't black. <laughs> but that's not the point. Well, it was a pen and ink drawing, Matt. It was black and white, so you had to make a choice, I guess. If, if, it, was, if it was a dick, I would have reversed out the drips. You have, you have standards. Exactly. I don't want a bloody dick or a dick shooting squid ink. Yet. If it was a dick. When this parent... Came marching back into the and old firehouse to poor, poor Kate Becker or whoever was in charge at the time. It'd be Kate. Uh, and did the fold in. Yes. Yes. You have to wonder what's going through a person's mind to take these pictures from this, this club and fold up to see if there are any, any dirty you know, I, messages. I think, I think mom was looking for some dick. That's the problem. Okay. But it's because of that, that these posters were destroyed. Yeah. And you maintained at the time, which you're maintaining now in an official capacity that this isn't something you did. This is a, this was an accident within your artwork. Well, it might've been an accident waiting to happen, but it happened. But Dave, it's art. I'm going to find you that could get thing. a bag. I should have a, I've looked and I've looked. I know I have a copy. You can of get it. a bag of popcorn shrimp and you fold enough ways and sooner or later it's going to look like a dick. It just does anything. Okay. Um, I'm holding right here in my hand. A picture that you drew of a vagina smoking weed out of a bong. Yeah. With a flower in its head, in its labes. <laughs> it's very nice. It has With the fl- flower in its legs. And it says, in quotes, in pink uh, at the top, it says bongina. Mm-hmm. I think I have a picture of you holding this, so this will be going up on your, uh, on your well, page. I, so what's your point, Dave? Uh, you don't fold it. You didn't fold it up. You, it's right there. You're right. If I folded this, though, there may be... You, a dick. <laughs> well, I also, how weird. I also have a picture somewhere in this room that you drew me of a penis in a chair smoking a pipe. I believe reading the newspaper. Yeah. So, so he he's a learned penis. Is, you, but you have you do have a little bit of a genital art fixation. I don't know about that. I, I mean, it's it's a cheap reaction, and I'm a cheap guy. What can I say? I mean. I'll draw an anus next. I mean, what? I can balance it out. That and earlier tonight on the way here, you actually talked about that. that you yeah, felt because like there was aliens enough... aliens look like dicks. Predators look like vaginas. There isn't a sci-fi monster that looks like a butthole. I so brought someone... up I brought up the brain monster, the big fat smart bug in Starship Troopers. You said yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, cause it's mainly legs. I mean, it, 
I mean, if you're going to be a butthole, be a butthole. That's what I say. The Sarlacc? Vagina. And really, Alien kind of represents... And, dude, Boba Fett ain't going to jump into a butthole. (laughs) He's all vagina. Not that there's anything wrong with jumping in the butthole, but I just don't see Boba... Maybe Django, but not Boba. Okay. Let's flash forward ahead a little bit. I also put out... I'm um, all for anal. Oh, hey, uh, you put out a number of records um, as 1007. AFA, um, all for anal. And I honestly feel like I got the short end of the stick on the 1007 records because I, I enjoy the records that I put out. But by far, my favorite record that you did as 1007 was the Chainsaw Orchestra LP. Dave. I love the artwork. I love the songs. It's a cohesive record. It has a kind of a DC influence in there. It's... It, I, there are still songs in there that I love to this day and wish there was a band playing those songs. Yeah, the way I see it, 1007 is kind of like Goonies. Y- you revisit it now and you go, mm, it's, God, what was I thinking, really? It's kind of like that. And Baby Roof. Oh, yeah, and, and, and Baby Roof. And Sloan. <laughs> now, look, I'm just, I just wanted to say for the record, Chainsaw Orchestra is a fantastic record. You hated Chainsaw Orchestra almost from the moment it was available. Did I? Yeah. Especially back then. You just you in fact said at the time you spelled ten oh seven with a one zero zero seven and a colon in the middle. And then you started spelling out ten oh seven and was said be- it was a different band. Well, it was different it was totally different people, but not totally different. It was still you and Jeff Ganson. Yeah, but I mean I don't know if your music, your lyrics, Jeff Ganson playing guitar, the rhythm section's different, and you still and it's still phonetically the same, but you're saying it's a different band. Hey man, I was I was an artist back then, I was complicated. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. It's not like a prince thing. Oh god. But then so then you put out a second album called You're Cool on my label. You're cool inspired yeah, by and, and, Lex Bar. And and who swears to this day that it wasn't and like she she actually insisted um rather emotionally uh in her episode no not <laughs> not legs that no that she intended to to be giving you a compliment and it was taken the wrong way and she when she heard that the album was named after her i thought it was funny it was funny. I every most people thought it was funny, but she was horrified when Kate told her why you called the record that, and she went in the bushes outside the old firehouse and cried. Man, see this times like this, I know that I might be a little bit of a sociopath because that that I just kind of find a kind of find that funny. You know, we laughed about it a lot when she talked about it, <laughs> and then we actually referenced crying in the bushes numerous times later in the podcast. So, it, actually, strangely, strangely enough, the name of Lex Bar's new album. There's a magic that happens, Matt, and this is awesome. There's a magic that happens where pain becomes humor over time. Well, yeah, because if it doesn't, it just turns into naked on a bell tower with a high-powered rifle. <laughs> And that that ain't no good. Um, and you've managed to go all this time without killing anyone that we know about. Yeah, but I mean, I think about it all the fucking time. Because seriously, is that, that different now than then? No. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is uh, you know, I'm just keeping it real. Okay, so that goes to... Well, no, I have a little self-control. I mean, like, that's the only difference. You have a, you have a lot of self-control, actually. I mean, I've been a lot of places with you in a lot of different situations. And I've been with you at a time when your control had kind of given out. We went Christmas shopping one time. Oh, yeah. And you were on some medication for an illness. That I didn't and, have. And you 
Right. And you had, you wouldn't eat and it said you had to eat and you were walking into other shoppers and saying they were running into you. And I was having to pull you away from people. And I I don't remember any of that. You don't remember. I took you to the food court. And this is the thing. Like we were at Northgate mall. I didn't think we could get through the mall without you getting into a fist fight in the hallway. It was bad. I sat you down in the food court, bought you food, made you eat. You were totally cool the rest of the night. You probably remember if I could remember something that happened later in that night, though it wasn't that eventful, you'd probably remember it because you were totally in your right mind. I don't actually, Dave, I don't remember any of that. But it happened. But the point is this, though, like that is that's something else took down your control. And that act, that part of you that you say is there came out. I've seen it. It wasn't very good. Great. Now, now I'm wondering if I killed someone during that time and just don't remember it. Well, no one else knows if you did. But... Um, eh, people disappear all the time. <laughs> so you are someone who told me early on, and I've seen this because you are like a few other people I know in my life that um, always have a lot of weapons around you. You are someone who once told me that the first thing you do when you walk into a room is look for the thing you can use as a weapon and the escape route. Yeah. This is your, this is how you've operated since you were young. Yeah. Because uh, it, I can fight one person, but it's not like the movies when you have like more than one person. It's always good to have something to encourage. See, the the, the secret to fighting multiple opponents is to just totally brutalize the first person, so this other guy's number one won't want to deal with it, and number two, you can if the guy's incapacitated, you can use him as a shield against other guys who are trying to throw punches at you. But you don't want to ever go into that like swinging fist and thinking you're going to knock everyone out. Right. Now, it's funny that you talk that like people might think like, oh, he's just talk. But like you made me in the uh, late 90s, mid to late 90s, you made me go to judo slash jujitsu training with you. Oh, right. Yeah. And that's where we where I met Carson, right. Dave Carson, yeah. good friend of mine. He's, he's he was in your um your second film. He's in my film. He's Wait, in Edge of Coral. He, he was not. That was Zach Chicago. <laughs> Zach Chicago is his name in our films. That's his actor's name. Um, he plays the redneck. If you've seen Edge of Quarrel, you know the movie I'm talking about. He's the guy that walks out with the, the overalls and no shirt and the baseball bat. He starts the fight at the end. And in Matt's movie, he plays uh, some kind of a criminal mastermind. I don't fucking know. You don't know what his character now, is see, in the movie? That, I was drinking a lot when I made that movie, Dave. <laughs> also, and this is also right before that thing with the medication I talked about at the mall, right before that movie yeah, was done. Yeah. So, so the editing's a little weird. The editing is a little weird. We're t- the movie that he's referring to there is For the Cash. It's Matt's second film. And I don't know if it's available anywhere. It was released. You, you can uh, buy the Spanish version on B-Core, I believe. Yeah, if. I don't. I think B Corps is still there. Yeah, it, it's in the bargain bin. It's, it's probably like five euros. <laughs> so if that. But you said I'm taking this. I'm taking this jujitsu training. I want you to come out because you were really into Ultimate Fighting at the time, right? Oh yeah. No, the UFC. It was called the UFC all the way in the very beginning. I think so. That's back when they'd have a pit fighter versus a cop and all that stuff. Yeah. I was just writing something about this, and I wanted to make sure I had it right. So you got really inspired by that, and you wanted to do it. And so you roped me into it and we went out and we were putting on these, these geese, white judo outfits and sparring in this gym on, in Bellevue. Right. Right. And it was a lot of fun. It was a good workout. I thought it was when I met, I met Carson and then the coach out there, he comes up to me and he says, do you want to compete? Are you here to learn judo? And I said, no, I just want to 
train. I just, this is, I just want like a, a, a training to do like a workout and I, I wouldn't mind learning some, something that would work like in the real world, you know? And yeah. he's like, okay, I, I know I can teach you some stuff. And so he would teach everybody how to do a judo takedown, talk about some rules, and then he'd have everybody working. And then he'd come over to you and me and be like, here's how you break someone's elbow. Here's how you dislocate a shoulder. Here's how, and he taught us horrible and incredibly useful things. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm, I would never last like five seconds in like in the UFC, but I could probably, I could probably do okay in a street fight. Well, you, you had some opportunity because you, for a while you were working a door at a bar in Capitol Hill. Oh, right. But I mean, those guys were all drunk. But you got into some scuffles. Yeah. That's how I got the job. (laughs) You wait, you you were just a, you were just a man with no name walking in and fucking up people in a bar and they hired you? No, I was, John was working one night, a guy that was in a, very short-lived band I was in and uh I was just I I would go there and I wouldn't really know a lot of people there so I would just sit there and drink and talk with him because I thought he was pretty hilarious because he was always depressed so everything that he come out of his mouth would be just like I hate you know I just used to find that endlessly hilarious anyway and so we would sit there and talk and stuff and I would be drinking and he had to go to the bathroom one time and uh some guy had been kicked out earlier and was running in and I saw he was running in and, and I was, so I clotheslined him and uh you know at the same time I did like I hit threw him out into the street and uh he was outside and they were trying to control him me and John and someone else I can't remember but uh the co- what was funny is that he walked away and then I guess he was walking back and by that time the bartender Kim had called the cops and all we hear is this huge bam and the cop, one of the cops on the bike jumped over the handlebars and tackled this guy in one move. It was like a movie. And then, and then they just totally went Ferguson on his ass. <laughs> well, they didn't that's, shoot him. That's awful. I... They, they, well, I should say, okay, here. They went Rodney King on his ass. At the time, that would probably have been a yeah. little more. But, but the funniest part was the guy was so drunk that he woke up in the holding pen and the last thing that he remembered wasn't the cops beating him up. It was me throwing him into the onto the sidewalk. So he called up the bar and was asking who I who I was and that you know he's gonna sue my ass and stuff. So I had to But you didn't work there. No, not at that time. So I had to stay away for like a week. And then when I came back they hired me to work the tour. <laughs> You've proved yourself. Yeah, because everyone thought that I beat the shit out of him, but it was the cops. <laughs> You're like, oh man, he did that for free. We could, the least we could do is pay him five bucks an hour or whatever. And it was, it was, it was this was around the time you and I were going out to judo training. Yeah, and judo training was cool. It got a little weird. We left. We won't go into details with it. It's not something bad. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah, coach got injured, and it got it got a little weird. Coach is still doing it though, from what I understand. Carson says he's got another school, and he's still uh, he still goes down and trains. Mm. So that's awesome. Um, I actually kind of wanted to check that out at some point drag you down there are you too old i'm too old for what the coach would have in mind for me see i'm short so it's this like this isn't like a catholic schoolboy thing no he says no what the coach coach is awesome no he, he just knows that i have a high tolerance for pain so i'm always the one you know that he like toward the end he, everybody that was learning throws that was new uh, okay throw matt he's short and doesn't weigh a lot and has a high tolerance for pain so he's not going to be bitching about getting hurt and it was true 
I only got knocked out a couple times. So that was that. We went on tour. I want to hit these like a couple of these main points that we've referenced. We went on tour with Red Rocket. You guys got Red Rocket got a van from the city. No, we bought a van. You bought a van from a some, but it was some a, it random was a sur- guy. It was a surplus auction, wasn't it? I thought that's where that came from. No, all I remember it was five hundred bucks, and it more or less ran. And then you guys kind of built in some kind of a little bit of space behind the two front seats for yeah. us to sit. Painted the painted the hell out of the inside of it, and, and we went on and, tour. And do you remember? Do you remember the painting that was? I don't know why I painted this, but it was Garfield, the cat stoned off his ass and puking. Well, so John Lisa, I saw John Lisa from Serpico last month in New York, mm-hmm. and I had a video camera with me, and I filmed him giving a little message to you. And ta- and he also talked about um, the Red Rocket tour, and he talks about being freaked out by the paintings on the inside of the van. But he remembers it as like some kind of blacklight paintings of demons or something. Like he doesn't, he just doesn't. He knows that he just like couldn't stay in the van. He had to get out and like wanted to go talk outside. Yeah, because we, it was me and Eric, I think, like just painted the or and I think maybe Derek Lineman like painted the weirdest crap on like random crap, and it was just to cover it up. But I I think the main thing that i drew was gar the garfield i don't know if he started out stone but eric made him stone like drew in the eyes all red right and then he, some for some reason he ended up puking so this tour now i've been straight edge since i was 16 years old you guys were and for whatever reason that always worked for you matt we've always that's always been something that you, you've got along pretty well with a lot of straight edge dudes there's something about that that seems to it doesn't bother you and it never seems to have uh, well, yeah, cause I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really into caring about what other people think. Yeah, but it's, it's just, it seemed like for someone who really wasn't, you, you had a lot of people in your life that were pretty influential at that time that were pretty, pretty well into it. Back then, there were, there was some weirdness between dudes that were straight edge and dudes that weren't straight edge out on the east side, and you always seemed apart from that. Yeah, cause, man, straight edge chicks were pretty hot. Back then, you I had, don't know. If, I haven't been to a show in a while, but back then, um, okay, we we go on this tour. I'm doing nothing. I'm just along as a roadie because you're on my label, and we're gonna have a good time. It's West Coast. We play. Well, yeah, I mean, it was obvious because there would be no way we would have gotten to some of those shows unless we had a designated driver. Because like, no one wanted to be the designated driver. You might as well like said, okay, you get to be the pariah of tonight's show. You know, like totally, especially since like. I think one or two of the venues paid us in alcohol. Yeah, we played. It, there was a bunch of places that were pretty killer shows. Um, the one I remember San most, Diego was where they paid us with these pictures. Right. Well, San Diego, there was almost no one there. There was there was a few people there, and because there was like such a weird small show, and like some friends had come out. Like Serpico played like their first. They they didn't play like their current stuff. They went and played like their first album, start to finish. Was that the time and it was when, awesome. when John was... got like totally stoned? Maybe. And like he just kind of freaked out. <laughs> John Lisa. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that was the the time he. That's when he saw the van. That's probably why he freaked out. That's you know what I think because that... Eric did like John is smoking that East Coast like crazy like weak stuff. Now you and, didn't... and Eric had like the bubonic chronic from <laughs> and, the West, and you didn't smoke weed at the time. 
No. You drank. I drank. Um, you on this trip, I think you wanted to to get. I think you thought we were kind of going to the Southwest, and you were going to get a little Hunter S. Thompson on this thing, because you also bought some like weird ecstasy oh my God, candy yeah. shit. It, no, it was herbal. It's something called supposedly is herbal ecstasy or something. And you bought it at a roadside stand. Yeah, it was just the, bad news in the desert. Yeah, in the desert, and it was like the packaging was a little like. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's from, you know, like some weird. But just to show where you were at that time in your head, you bought this intending to use it. Yeah. And was that the same roadside stand where we bought the switchblades and the Bloody Marys and all the, we bought, I, I don't wep- re- yeah, I don't remember. We bought weaponry. You bought a couple of really nice switchblades. Yeah. I bought a really shitty like stiletto, like Bloody Mary, like came out the top. I use that in Edge of Quarrel. That's my that's my evil knife prop in the movie. Um, so we had all these things in the van. It was there were nudie mags in there. There were playing cards with all these naked women on that someone got, and one of them reminded us of someone who we knew. And that person always wa- see you're giving away a lot in this podcast because <laughs> it was a certain card <laughs> that might that might have revealed a secret, Matt. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> So, do you remember? No, it really person? looked like her. But do you remember that person asking why why they had been called a card and a suit? Oh, see, I didn't take it that far. I just <laughs> okay. that's not on me. Well, it's not. It wasn't me either. But now look, I would just call it the blank card. Like just, <laughs> I would just say the person's name. Right. Well, because you got to play poker and solitaire and stuff and whatever. We're stopping all these roadside places, and this is the this is the deck someone got. So. Yeah, I think poker is the keyword. There. So we get into Utah, right? We go past the sign on the oh, side of the road, right. pornography, deadly as a rattlesnake. We're going through this place and we get pulled over by the cops. And You're in the passenger seat. I believe Dave Baldwin's driving. Does this sound right? Yeah, I don't know if you'd call it driving, but sure. Now, we've been pulled over by the cops for whatever, whatever reason. I think it was just because we had... Because Dave was driving. But there was no there was no ticket, right? No, because we were smooth. I learned a lesson on this day. The cop comes to the passenger side window because there's, you know, they didn't want to go to the driver's side because there's a freeway out there. And you roll down the window and you handled yourself like... Because I'm thinking, oh my God, the cop's going to talk to Matt. What the hell's going to happen? And you were like, by the book, awesome. And so we're from, we're from Seattle, going on this tour. The guy looks in. If they search the van, they are going to find weed, porn, illegal weapons, fireworks, your herbal herbal ecstasy, and all kinds of open containers of alcohol. They're like... So, so, like, it literally is going to be a field day with these Utah police, right? He's, He's talking to you, and he likes you. He clearly likes you. And he didn't even want to do it. Like, I could see it in his face. He says, hey, I'm going to need to look in that cooler. And he points at the cooler. It's a little, like, Playmate cooler that you'd put stuff in. There is nothing in this cooler that would not cause this cop to to have a problem. It's open bottles of liquor and, like, some beers. That's it. There's nothing else in there. Yeah, but you couldn't... The thing is that there was enough water and ice in there, and the bottle had turned upside down. Regardless... All there was in there was why he was asking to look in it. Yeah. And you said, oh, yeah, you hold the cooler up like you're the coolest fucker in the world. You open this thing up right in the guy's face and he doesn't even look in. He says, all right, thanks, man. Doesn't even look in because nobody would just shove 
the illegal in the cop's face like that. It was so smooth. And you close it back up and they were, they were like, all right, you guys can go on your way. Everything's cool. Just the cooler would have got them to search the van, at which point we would have had an issue. Yeah, <laughs> there would have sure. been an issue. So that you saved the day on that. Well, I, I just figured, you know, they were looking for a reason to do whatever. So, like, you know, he didn't seem like he was looking for any, you know, so you just do what they say. That's it. You just, yeah, you just, like, total confidence. No, we're not doing anything wrong. Look. I'm As you show them what's well, illegal. Well, I, I think I was probably somewhat loaded, too. <laughs> on on roadside ecstasy? Uh, who knows? Dude, that was not ecstasy. Because I've, I've taken ecstasy since that time. That was not ecstasy. I don't know. That was like something South American herb with frog skins in it or something. <laughs> it was the original zombie drug. It, 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 was, it was that... God, what was that? Don't stuff? bury me, I'm not dead. It was that stuff. That movie, um, God, what was the name of that movie? Serpent in the Rainbow. Yeah, it was Serpent. I I took Serpent in the Rainbow. <laughs> it was it was fermented frog skins burning on a on a campfire. Okay, well, I can't remember what it was called. No, I don't remember either. So that was so we we got back from that tour fine, no other problems. It was good. You guys played uh. You guys played the best away from home show I ever saw with Red Rocket in Logan, Utah. Oh, the one that got busted by the cops. It oh did it get but it it did get busted by the cops, but the crowd loved you guys. Well, yeah, because they thought it was going to be shut down after three songs, and then we just go oh just one more, and then we just start playing. <laughs> that was that was a good time. All right, so we get back now. At some point, Red Rocket basically comes to an end. I bring you. We're going to do this really quick. Matt and I both made movies in the end of the 90s. Matt and I watched a movie made by a guy named Evan Jacobs called Walking Between the Raindrops, which he basically just made with his friends on a video camera. And it inspired Matt to make a movie. If Evan can do it. He can make a movie like this. I can make a movie like this. And you wrote Heartbreak Beat. Yeah. I'm just waiting for you to say something. To jump in. Yes. It's a conversation. It was a movie. And you cast me in it after you wrote it. You you wrote this story about, it's kind of like, a it's a little bit like an 80s teen film. It's got the nice guy with the good friend who's the girl and then kind of like the shitty guy she's dating. And there's the best friend with the foul mouth who's giving him the advice. It's 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 got all this stuff. And one day you call me up and you said, I have the idea to make the movie work. It's the movie. It's the stuff I've written. But in between... It's you and I discussing the film. And that, that actually, Dave, that was later because that I wrote that stuff when I timed out the footage toward the end of shooting, and I go, "Fuck, I've got less than an hour of you know." Oh, I didn't realize you were already shooting when you did it. Oh yeah. But the point is, you have me being the guy who's going to be the director, sitting at a table talking to you, and I keep suggesting nudity, gay sex. Over the top sexy. Like, I'm suggesting all this stuff, which is apparently how you thought of me. And then your characters arguing with me. But when I make a suggestion, you filmed scenes to show what I was suggesting. And it's pretty funny. Yeah. It, it and, has its moments. And then at the end, the financier comes in and joins our table. Oh and my it's God. Greg Benick. Like, and you, you had Greg Bennett in your movie as a mob boss with a gun who gets so angry at you in the conversation that he pulls the gun on us. Who, who 
just quit smoking. So he's a little tense. <laughs> oh, yeah, he had just quit smoking. That's why he was tense. That's what gave the character its life. Um, yes. Uh, one of the big arguments that we had is that uh, Greg had convinced me that we needed to smoke in the scene to make it look real. So I had procured these herbal cigarettes that weren't real cigarettes. And I had I'd, I'd done like a fake smoking training session to, tr- to make sure it looked real and then i filmed all my, my parts and then greg showed up and said i'm not gonna smoke i'm straight edge completely throwing me into the bus and having me on camera smoking and then we had to rewrite his character which to say, i believe was his plan from the beginning could very well have been his plan it was hilarious uh Devious i've caught a lot of shit for the fake smoking that i did in that movie and then we changed greg's line to say no thanks i, I quit, quit and, and you should, so should, should you, you. <laughs> yeah and then we have him a drink, and he's like, "Of course, of and course, it's like apple juice." Yeah. All right. So after you did that, I got to watch you do that whole process, and I got so I fell so in love with that that I started writing Edge of Quarrel, and I was writing and starting to film Edge of Quarrel at the same time that you were writing and starting to film for the Cash, which was your second film. Yeah, man. Talk about <laughs> if anyone ever says alcohol is not like hallucinogenic. Man, all they have to do is watch For the Cash. And and I'll just leave it at that. What's For the Cash about? I don't fucking know to this day, Dave. It's just, <laughs> it was just a bunch of shit I wrote. And I, it's a Matt Matsuoka fever dream. Fever dream? I don't know. Why not? No, <laughs> that, could be, that could be what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, a real high fever. <laughs> like, we're talking 115. <laughs> Um, it's got some, it's got some great parts in it. You've got some great killings in it. Yeah. I, but I mean, it, it's kind of like the way I see it, it would have made a good 10 YouTube or three minute clips. Right. But you've got dude from gas huffer executing people throughout the movie. Yeah. And, and I have found that really funny cause he's like the nicest guy in the world. And like, I just thought that was now, what's, what's his, what's his name again? It's Matt, Matt. What's his last name? Matt Wright. Matt Wright. Okay. Um, and he's, he's fantastic. He comes up to Jake Snyder and Justin Deary trying to get information and Justin's talking shit to him. And he, you filmed a very, very cool, like no budget gun killing. That is awesome. And, and you had and firecrackers. It was, fi- it was firecrackers taped onto a piece of metal taped onto a, TV dinner plate, like one of those and plastic was, and there ones. And was blood, too, And there right? was a big packet of blood taped over the um, firecrackers. So and it's the most dangerous, low-budget squib yeah, in history. Yeah, and then, like, we couldn't get it to blow up the shirt, so we actually pre-tore the shirt and put toilet paper on it. But since we were shooting in black and white, you can't see this toilet paper. And there was no, like, electronics or anything. I think I lit it with a match. And so after that... Jake Snyder gives up the information, so he doesn't get murdered also. But then he, he gets murdered off camera. He gets murdered off camera. This is also a movie that has sword fights, ninjas. The castrating assassin. The castrating assassin. Dequa- it has the three of the members of Botch being executed by him. Right. They just show up out of nowhere, I guess, to do something bad, and he kills them all. See? it. It's all that alcohol. <laughs> I'm a ninja. In the movie, although you can't see my face, but I did some ninja stunt work. So I have that on my resume. I fell off of the top of a car with a sword. Probably um, not the best idea in retrospect. No, I, I remember I told you I, it needed to look good and I knew I could do it without killing myself, which I did not know. But I figured I would. 
I thought my skateboarding past would give me some falling experience. It has a person getting their face torn off with an electric fan. Yeah. Total Evil Dead style with giant blood splatter. Yeah, it does have that. Uh, Damien Johnston is a mad scientist with a clone in a jar. What? Can you remember what character he... He he was actually trying to talk like someone in a movie. What was it? I don't know. It, this was your masterwork. I know, but but <laughs> I, like he just shows up one day when we're filming, or I show up, and then we start because we filmed it at his place. Carrie Whitney's the star of the film, and yeah, and like he, and her. Well, go on. Oh no, he just starts talking in this weird, uh, like weird voice. And he told me later when we were hanging out, like there it, it was actual. He's trying to talk like someone he saw in a movie, like <laughs> another movie, but I I don't remember what movie it was. Carrie Whitney's the star of this film. Uh, Adam Baldwin is in it. He plays like her boss and maybe her possible love interest. Carson, as we mentioned, yeah, is some kind of killer. There's Oh, uh, uh, Cody Willis is in it. He's another member of the team. He also gets executed by Matt Wright. He gets shot in the head mm-hmm. and blood slides down the wall. He uh, there's You've just got some great stuff. And it ends with an inexplicable dream sequence with William, William Goldsmith and, Goldsman. and Jeremy Enoch um, where where we've been introduced to the ghost William character but Jeremy has been off screen just a little bit the whole time so he comes in and says a poem yeah that's because he didn't he, he didn't want to he, he just uh I, I wrote that for him and then your movie ends with Jetster Brazil's Sweet Avenue which you had permission to use. Yeah. Written on a cocktail R- written napkin. Written on a cocktail napkin. And, uh, it, yeah, it's just bizarre. I, it, 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 I thought I had it right there. Oh, I, I, just, I, I do have that. Yeah, that I don't cocktail know. napkin. I'm going to have to put that. I'm going to have to find it and put that in the uh, page also. Yeah, so, I, I, don't, I don't know what I was thinking. And there were screenings. I wasn't. There were screenings. You had a screening of For the Cash during the WTO riots in yeah, downtown dude, Seattle. I, see, I was pretty heavily like on all those medication. I don't. I can barely remember that. You went down into the protests that preceded the riots at the WTO protests here in Seattle, and you were filming oh, right. yourself giving flyers for your movie to delegates in the WTO. Oh, right. right. And you also filmed some of those anarchists. Um, and at one point, someone like pulled back a ball bearing and a wrist rocket and threatened yeah. to shoot you um, if you didn't stop filming. No, they they shot at me. I think. Yeah, it was it was completely nuts. Um, yeah, so that I just wanted to go through because that those movies are out there. They were released in Europe, um, translated into Spanish, and dubbed with professional Spanish voice actors. Yeah, what... So in Spain, those are like films that have been released. Yeah, and. Griff would get on on the internet and he would just he would tell me like he would translate the the pages in Spain of the reviews and the some of these guys man they would just oh I didn't know it was about that it was like oh everything was this metaphorical weird like <laughs> now Griff it was the bass player in the hit which was your last band yeah the last band so far yes dave um <laughs> and like he would just like god they were the weirdest reviews like even like the hit record that got reviewed in Spain, it was like, this is a story about... The, they thought it was about oh, Shermer, Illinois. They would put more into it yeah. than it was. Yeah, instead of saying, oh, well, it was just 
Now, people who who like Matt's music, who have liked the things that Matt has done, like 1007, like Red Rocket, the last release that Matt was involved in was an LP. It was only on CD, but it was a full-length record called Shermer, Illinois, from his band, The Hit. Yeah, and it... uh... Released on a Spanish record label. Yeah. Not really available in the U.S., very much. No, wherever we consigned them. <laughs> wherever you consigned them. Which wasn't very And I'm going to say, as a fan of Matt's music, all the way through from the very beginning, from when I met him in 1990, the last four songs on Shermer, Illinois, are four e- examples of your writing styles, essentially. And I think they're the four best songs you've released. The whole record is great, but it is, if someone out there is a fan of Matt's stuff, track down a copy of it. It's a must listen. It's a must own. B-Core Bargain Bin. B-Core Bargain Bin, possibly. It's on Cydonia Records, is that right? Yeah, and if you you do buy a copy, it's going to be real cheap, so buy two of them and send one to me, because I don't know where the hell my copy went. (laughs) All right, so now, Matt, let's get into something for a little bit here, and we'll see where we're going to go with it. Throughout the entire time I've known you, now that we've gone through your history, your involvement with the Firehouse... The bands that you were involved in that I was involved with, uh, fighting, tour, yeah, I mean, movies. Like, I, don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm some sort of motherfucking John Pettibone. I, I didn't fight that much. No, 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 no. Just, just little touches, little things here and there. A smattering of altercations. Blake Schwarzenbach told me when I did an interview with him about you. I interviewed him on film when the Forgetters came to town because that was at the time, which is still, this is something that's in progress that hasn't happened yet, but you were on a path to try out doing some stand-up comedy. And I was doing an interview, I was going to interview a number of people about you and about things I knew about you. And I have this footage, but he said that when Jawbreaker met you, and that would have been the unfun show Mm -hmm. at the party hall where we went and stayed at your house afterwards. As they were driving away from Seattle, they said that Matt guy is either going to kill us all or he's going to become one of our best friends. <laughs> and that's kind of the impression people had of you at that time and then maybe have had of you over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's it pretty much probably the same now. I, I spend a lot of energy just keeping myself from from not just attacking the fuck out of somebody like people are just getting i don't think i'm getting smarter so i i just just think people are getting dumber and it's and and i don't have a high bar either so that's what's so disappointing i mean it'd be one thing if i had like these high expectations but you know fuck I, i expect just like it's pretty close to orangutan like primate behavior and most people can't even reach that bar it's like you know, I can't lower the bar much more without getting out of the species. But you're able to go into a job in downtown Seattle and interact with people day in, day out, and not, this is how you view people, but you don't get into conflict with them. No, because in, in corporate America, it's like all, oh, he's just joking, you know. They can see they, they can say that now. Oh, he's just joking. I'm surprised you haven't been... Uh... Sent to HR, I, I'm surprised too. But what I'm saying is, this is all the stuff that people kind of maybe would know about you or, or things people would know that you've done. Some of these people might have seen your movies. Some of these people might have seen your bands play. They might have been aware of the things that you've done over the years. You have a book sitting in front of you that you brought over here tonight. It's called Top Secret Tourism. Mm-hmm. It is one of two items you brought tonight. 
This book, I'm going to read people the cover. It says, Top Secret Tourism, Your Travel Guide to Germ Warfare Laboratories, Clandestine Aircraft Bases, and Other Places in the United States You're Not Supposed to Know About. This is a common book for you. Like, this is the kind of thing you read. Mm-hmm. And it's not always books. This is an actual printed, released book with a barcode on it. Sometimes you're just downloading reams of shit from the internet. Mm-hmm. Also, the other item you brought with you tonight is a homemade weapon. Yeah. So I have. I took a picture of it. I'm going to put it up. Tell me about the weapon you brought. Oh, I was reading up on how they make bulletproof vests. So I wanted to see if I could make something that could penetrate a bulletproof vest on with one hit. And I did. I mean, it's. Not- you haven't tested it, but you just assume it will work from the physics side of things. Yeah, hopefully I won't have to test it. But but you have it just in case. Yeah, because I would hate to be in a situation where it's like, you know, I'm going to die if I only had something that could penetrate, you know, ballistic armor. I'd be all right. And I'd rather be all right than be regretful. Like, oh, man. Because, like... But you've never been one to carry a gun. No. Guns kill a lot of people that you don't want to kill. Like, I just, if, I just want to kill the person I want to kill. I don't want to kill someone who I don't want to kill. You know, it's not like I'm going to stab somebody and it, the end's going to come through them and stab someone else. You're, you're like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of psychopaths. It's, I don't know about the, Obi-Wan gun, Kenobi. Guns are just inelegant, right? You'd rather use your, your saber. I don't, it's not that big. But, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh, I always pretty much get what I want from you, Matt. Well, I, I you know... <laughs> Why not? I mean, if you like, what are you going to run into with someone who's aggro? Well, they're probably, they could be wearing ballistic armor, and in which case I'll be ready. Okay. So in your mind, I mean, you made a work of art. I mean, I took a picture of the thing. It's definitely, it looks like something from a movie. It looks like something you might see in this new Mad Max movie that just came out, Fury Road. And I think that you like building stuff like that, but you also have it because there could be a need for it at some point in your mind. Well, yeah, it's functional. I, I wouldn't want a prop. No, this book, this book that you have here, this top secret tourism, this is essentially just a list of government bases and strange places all across the entire country. I, I read the part in it about Alaska, about harp. Mm-hmm. In fact, if anyone doesn't know what harp is, well, I'm going to read you what it stands for and that's all look it up yourself but this is a real thing it is the high frequency active auroral research program in gakona alaska that's a real thing it's in this book which is a crazy person book but it is also a a real thing that actually exists you can see pictures of it and they won't tell you well i don't think it's a crazy person's book it's a book about crazy shit oh oh please you said crazy person's book which would be the book of a crazy person. I said crazy person book. I mean a book for crazy people. There is a distinction there. Okay. This this book, go, there's a lot of books that fall under that category for me. I'm not saying that you are a crazy person because you have this book. I'm saying that crazy people would have this book and you happen to have it also. Yeah, I guess. Okay. But I'm, I'm not like uh, a survivalist or something or like Alex Jones. No, but you are already like a survivalist, Matt. Like in a way, like you have no sense of direction, but you, you definitely would handle yourself in certain situations better than your average, just sheeple person downtown, you know? Well, yeah. Cause I know, I know the limits of the physical world I live in. I'm not like massively tall or strong. So I got to get a jump on the person and strike them once as fast as I can and just drop them like a can of worms. Who's this person? 
It's all of them, Dave. It's, it's all, all of them. It's all of them. Now, one time you gave me a map of the tunnel systems that supposedly connect the entire United States, lower 48 United States, to the Denver airport. Oh, right. I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, this is what I want to know. Is it real? It It's, I don't know. Uh, I have never seen it. I've never walked into it. So I'd have to say it could be, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like to make statements. What do you speculate that a tunnel system underground that no one knows about leading to the Denver airport is for? Oh, it's, it's connect. I mean, there's, it's, to me, it's obviously a base of some kind under the airport. Now, I have my own theory about what I think it is. I think it's an evacuation point, essentially, for the Earth. Oh, could be. But I want everyone to understand when I say that, that I write fiction. I write science fiction. I write horror. I write fantasy. Whenever I hear about a thing, I add what I think the story is that isn't real. So if you think I sit around thinking that the Denver airport is actually a secret government spaceport... That's that's crazy talk, okay? I would write that script. In fact, I am. I have a script well, that no, I'm 30 I, pages I, into that that is part of. Well, I, However... I think it's... I, just from what I've seen, like, pictures and information and just interviews with people who've worked on it, it, it's, it goes down pretty deep. It, and uh, it does seem to have a lot of security for just being... Oh, the Denver airport. Yeah. There's something underneath it. What are they excavating? What What are those piles of dirt for? Well, and it is weird that... Everything run- about it is weird. It, it is weird from the air, all the runway's former swastika. That's a little strange. And it's not like you have to use your imagination. That's all there is. It's dirt and a fucking swastika. So that's a little strange. They finally got rid of... The crazy paintings on the wall. It had crazy artwork. Yeah, it had the Armageddon stuff inside. Well, it, the Masonic stuff is still in there, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a trip that place, but these tunnels. Well, and it's a, and it said it are was, they high speed rail? How do, are they are they maglev trains? Like what what's in the tunnels? Well, they claim that it was a uh, baggage system. You know that. They had to replace, so they just closed it off. But there's like a lot. No, of... no, no. I mean the tunnels that are like if there's tunnels from Washington, if there's like a tunnel from Boeing to the Denver airport underground. Well, no, there there are tunnels under Boeing. I don't know if they lead the Denver airport. Yeah, yeah. The whole point I brought is that you showed me a map system that was talking about the tunnel, the underground tunnel systems interstate, like that connected throughout the whole country, not just like. I know there are there are buildings with tunnels under them in the world. I mean, this specific system would they be would, would it be a transportation system like get on the train we're leaving? Yeah, that I mean that's what I. And read. if you miss a train, you're screwed. You can't get there. Well, you could you know take a flight. You could try. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, there a lot of stuff goes underground. I mean, don't you ever wonder why you don't see trains carrying airplane parts? It's because they all, they they send them all underground. They send airplanes underground. Yeah. Underground railroads. Underground tunnels that are wide enough to move trucks. They can deliver these fuselages because they don't, it's not like they're sending out pieces of it. They're, I thought they assembled them and then flew the planes out. No. (laughs) So this is, so this is one little tip of the iceberg of some of the stuff that you're into that fascinates me. And that I, I, I mean, don't. Have you ever seen a train carrying out 
like a wing or a fuselage? There was a train carrying a fuselage that a lot of people got pictures of and it was on the news because it was something weird that people yeah. weren't used to seeing and it was like, oh, that's weird. Maybe there was a tunnel collapse. No, you, I don't know. So no, but I, I know for I know for a fact because I I know someone who worked who is an engineer at Boeing that said that told me. Okay, so I'm going to go down a checklist of things that people believe in, and I want you to give me like quick hit answers on what you think about them. Okay, mm-hmm. ghosts, probably uh, dimensional rift <laughs> more than anything else. I mean, I don't think they're demons or anything like that. I think it's probably just people are experiencing uh, life. Or something on a different frequency. But you're not like, no, they're not there. People are just imagining it. You believe there are, there is something that is, that people describe as ghosts. Yeah. I, I mean, they've done studies where people actually start seeing things uh, around certain frequencies, like, uh, say, like a air conditioner and it's certain, that's broken, certain frequency and, and things, weird things happen. They seem to always find like a source of, of, like odd you're noise. seeing through to, to a, another reality? Yeah, it's like vibrating, and, and, and you can't interact with it. You, you just see it, and and Einstein talks about it, like when you're moving at the speed of light, you'll actually see, you know, other things in different times next to you, you that you won't be able to interact with, but you'll see them. Now, I I kind of brought this up with Jake Snyder because we talked about a little bit of the stuff at the end, and he's a very very much scientific, this is all bullshit kind of point of view guy, um, and I proposed, and I don't have a lot of I don't have anything to back this up that that maybe it's more like some kind of natural playback. Like there's a re- residual imagery of, of an event that happened and you get the right atmospheric conditions. And it's kind of like playing back almost like a movie or a recording of some sort. So when you see people are driving in the middle of a desert or in the middle of somewhere in the south and all of a sudden there's a civil war battle happening around them for like 10 seconds. Yeah, you I think? Mean, I mean, you think it's it is that is that kind of this thing you kind of you're talking about, or is it? Does that sound crazy to you? No more crazy than living your life around books that are written centuries ago. I mean, people behave weirdly, and you know, I just a lot of stuff I say seems weird because it's not weird in the same way the average person is because because it's not a sanctioned supernatural. Yeah, I mean, like. You know, do I think that some people have psychic abilities? Possibly, but do I think these people that oh, see that was something do, I was do, getting to. Do I think these people that give out information about your life over the phone? Do I think they're legit? Fuck no. I mean, it, it doesn't take a genius to get on the internet and get information on anybody, and to parrot it back to them with pregnant pauses, like "and I see the," you know, like no that. It's not logical. Have you encountered some phone psychics? Yeah, they're always on TV. Okay. Uh. Oh, like like Miss Cleo. That's yeah. a long time ago, man. I don't know if they are anymore. No, they're still Call psychics. Cleo. They, like that. Okay. She that calls Miss Cleo. That fuck, in in <laughs> that fucked up lady who's always finding people's relatives. I don't know what that is. I don't know. It's like some ghost. I don't know what the show is, but it's, <laughs> she has really bad hair. It looks like she got electrocuted. Has these fake nails that look like Fritos. This is on now? Yeah. She's always on talk shows, and it's like... So you she's know, the current charlatan. And you know, yeah, and, and what pisses me off is that these people that are interviewing her never call her on anything. They just buy into it like, oh, really? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, that, yeah. And it's like, I don't see any difference between that and, you know, preachers that tell you stupid shit 
I mean, snake handlers. Yeah, I mean, there's it's like every preacher out there is like combination of like P.T. Barnum and Jim Jones. All right, what about cryptozoological stuff? What about uh, Bigfoot? Um, it's logical that there is something like that just from the amount of area that people don't go to. I mean, if, if like it's it's completely logical. It, I had this conversation recently with someone who said that we're we're in more and more places now. And I don't think that's true. I think that especially with the internet and with everyone being in their devices, I think more and more people are in less places. Yeah, because like if a, a place like, you know, back however many years, a place could be partially developed. But now it's like either overly developed or not developed at all. Like people are looking for quick money, so they don't want to build on something. They'll, they either build on something that's already built or they just don't go there. So why do you think these shows like Finding Bigfoot? Don't find Bigfoot. I don't know. Gee, it could be the fucking cameras. I mean, if I, if I, like, look at how pe the average person acts. I mean, if I had half a brain and apparently Bigfoot does, I'd stay away from him or I'd throw rocks at him. And that's, <laughs> and that's what happens. <laughs> that's exactly. That's exactly what happens. Exactly. It's like, or, or, or I'd shit on their doorstep, which has happened a couple times, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck. I wouldn't like it. If if you have the intelligence higher than like a wombat, you try to stay away from. Like the only reason why people run run across animals is because they've been so encroached upon and they're already there. Like if I had the means to live in the middle of the woods where no one would ever bother me, I would go there <laughs> and never see another person except to throw rocks and you know shit on their doorstep. And so it's like, I don't know that. Your life can't be described as throwing rocks and shitting on doorsteps. Yeah, but I'd rather shit in the straighten in the mouth. <laughs> okay, uh, what about uh, like something like hot login? Hot logins? <laughs> Not to be confused with Kenny Loggins. <laughs> hot login. Okay. While saying I'm all right, don't you worry about me. Like no one I'm doing, who knows you is surprised. Doing right a, now. <laughs> doing a a curly Cheeto into someone's mouth. Oh boy. So what about uh like Loch Ness monster, sea creatures, things like that? Um same deal or do you do you, is there a difference? Well, was the earth is now 70 something percent water and it's just getting more <laughs> water on it. So you know, seeing it's how the I think we probably studied the moon more than we have underwater. I mean, there it's like Unless there's money to be made, people just don't go to certain parts. So you know about the bloop? Well, like like a Loch Ness monster shit. No, there's a that would be a bloop. There's a thing I believe it's called the bloop. Everybody, Wikipedia this right now. The bloop. It's a noise that was recorded underwater. That was an organic noise that a creature would have had to have made, and it was like a huge noise. I don't know the details, but you can look it up. It's called the bloop. Um, something recorded from like a submarine. Was it just one or was it one from what I understand? It's not, I don't think it was something that has reoccurred. I mean, do you think it could have just been a one time release of gas from underneath? You, you think someone in the sub farted by the microphone? No, just like it, <laughs> like when fish die, they have to go somewhere. So they sink to the bottom and they rot and that process creates nitrogen. So could it be a nitrogen? Well, there you burst? go. It could have been a release of gas. 
Like maybe they just caught the sound of like those gas bubbles they think released in like the Bermuda Triangle. Maybe it wasn't organic. You have to look it up though, because I can't remember the details, and my internet's not working right now, so I can't. Uh, or, or it could be a whale fart. Could be a whale fart. Whoop. But yeah, look it up. The bloop. Um, okay, so you didn't know about that. What about? Uh, let's talk about some conspiratorial shit. What? Uh, what about stuff like uh, unknown space program uh, bases on the far side of the moon that we can't view from Earth? Um, some of them seem to be actual structures. Some of them seem to be creative sharpening of the picture. You're saying people have pictures of these? Oh, yeah. They're all over the internet, dude. How do you get them? How would someone be able to take a picture of the far side of the moon? It doesn't rotate. But they've had satellites take pictures. And you can download any of that stuff from JPL, I think. Yeah, I saw, I saw a, um, a book at your house one time about cities on mars oh yeah and that guy i've heard the guy that wrote that book i have heard him talk on coast to coast yeah he's a he gets a little into that he doesn't i get i always get the impression it's it's richard hoagland richard hoagland yeah i I get that get the impression that that's all he studies (laughs) but what do you think from reading his book is it just bs or do you think that there were structures on mars that he's actually seeing in this photography one or two of them I I don't see how they could be anything else, but I'll, I'd say most of them, he just needs to get better at Photoshop. <laughs> okay. Because so, I, I've done Photoshop for a long time, and uh, so I know what over-sharpening looks like. So you think, in his case, it's just a cottage industry, he's making money off this? Oh, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a place, oh, yeah. oh no, it's nice, yeah. to, it's, it's a place that you can put your foot down skeptically on one of these things. Well, like, I, I'm always, mm, I, I always wonder about people that, that take themselves real seriously like and he takes himself real seriously whereas like the guy in ancient aliens is kind of funny he's oh it's aliens dude yeah well like the shit that he talks about i mean let's talk about ancient aliens that's what's your thoughts on that i know this is all stuff in your wheelhouse oh i think i think a lot of that's legitimate do you think they're aliens from space or are they like dimensional travelers or perhaps time travelers well i think when you get into speeds that allow for, you know, moving between planets and universes that it transcends that. It is time. So it, it it's the same. You know, it's like we don't really have a good handle on their average person doesn't really have a good handle on what time and distance and all that is. It's all the same it's all the same thing. Time space, blah blah blah. It's basically a description or different descriptions of, of this it's like the same thing. People are talking about so like say oh this person from or not person but this alien from way over in the corner of the universe comes here it is going to be a form of time travel because of the way they travel it you know because uh, of how time works it's the um it's not really exceeding light speed because you're not supposed to be able to but it's, it has to do with gravity i think probably because okay. we, don't, we don't understand gravity either but so you you are convinced in the idea of other beings having been here, left us clues, influenced. Do I mean? Do you think? Do oh, you, dude, Judy Tenuta. Anyway, keep going. Judy Tenuta is an alien. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Now there's the idea of evidence in the ancient past of stuff we can't quite explain. Stuff dude, being cut. Not, it's not we can't quite explain. We can't explain it at all. Okay, we can't explain it at all. But then there's also near history, like recent history stuff, like Roswell and things like that. What are your thoughts on the recent history stuff? Well, just from my observations, Roswell in particular, like, 
for not being supposedly real, they've spent a lot of money trying to explain what it is, where they don't have to, because they don't have to talk about it. They can just say no comment. And they keep changing the story. Like, it's... Like, the official... You know, it's like, at one point, it was a weather balloon, and then at another point, it was dummies or something mm -hmm. that they were testing aircraft, and then another time, it was... Now it's the mogul spy balloon or something. Yeah, they put out that thing called Case Closed. They yeah. called it Case Closed. Yeah, so so you might as well just write... And when I the... say they, I mean the U.S. military yeah. put out a a report called Case Closed to try to get people to shut up about Roswell. Yeah. I mean, you might as well name the book Don't Think Past the Last Page of This Book. You know, this, this is what we're giving you. It's the same with that, the, that book that the guy wrote about the Kennedy assassination. It was like something Case Closed. It's like, well, you might as well just write, just believe me and no one else. I mean, if people wanted to find who is responsible for, you know, killing Kennedy, the, the information is there. And whether or not you want to believe it, you don't have to. But. Oh, just read the book American Tabloid. Damien and I used to talk about this because we both loved that book. Um, Damien Johnson. You don't need to know any of the history or the reality of what happened, read American Tabloid. It weaves every conspiracy theory into a absolutely believable, functional storyline leading up to the shot. The guy closes. The last thing that happens in the book is a character sitting in a bar near Dealey Plaza closes his eyes and waits for the sound of the scream. And that's that's how the book ends. And you and when you close that book, you're like, oh, yep, that's how that happened. That's, that <laughs> Didn't was they it. say it was this uh, cigarette smoking man in X Files? In X Files, a smoking man. It was uh, in Watchmen. It's the comedian. Uh, there's a, lots of people have gotten to be the one that shot Kennedy at various times in various different pop culture stuff. This isn't like that. This is Oswald's. I mean, this is yeah. definitely like a. I would. I'd have to read if it if you it's, want. If you want to watch a good. This documentary is so good that it there's no there's not even any narration. It's just like all these weird TV clips and stuff yeah. from from like the Kennedy assassination. It's called Evidence of Revision. Evidence of Revision. Oh, cool. Um, and it and it covers from like the Kennedy assassination. And the guy who put it together was actually an um did the archives for some military group or something, and he he was uh, making copies of it while he was transferring it. And he put together this, so it's like interviews with people that they didn't want interviewed. Like they even have like a recording of someone trying to talk to the police about the Robert Kennedy assassination. And the guy is obviously like browbeating her into changing her story. And uh, the, the lady's actually still alive today and she's, she swears by the story. So it's, it's kind of weird. Um, like Robert Kennedy, it's so obvious who shot him. That it, it's incredible that they didn't arrest him. When you follow up that story, it wasn't Sirhan Sirhan? Nope. Sirhan Sirhan wasn't close enough to... to, to sh Robert Kennedy had gunpowder on the actual bullet hole. Anyone who knows anything about guns knows to get that kind of embedding of gunpowder, you have to be pretty close. Uh, the coroner said, or the Nagushi or whatever his name. Well, I don't know the Asian guy, about this. He, he, like, You're he, telling said us. It, he said it was only like, uh, it could be no further than six inches yeah saran saran didn't get within five feet or hmm. three it, it was within feet and there's like and he and he got fired but he sued to get his job back he got fired because he wouldn't say that it was saran saran ah. and, and wouldn't and wouldn't give conclusions that matched 
the official story. With the story that came out immediately. And there's the gun that Saran Saran had held eight shots. There's way more than eight shots happened there. Right. And a lot of the evidence in that case got destroyed by Daryl Gates, who's not exactly the most uncorruptible head of LAPD. Right. And when they asked, why did you destroy all this stuff that's actually from history? We needed the room. You know, it's, and it's like, when you hear shit like that, you're like, okay. Yeah. All that's right, whatever. That's a name whatever. that comes up um, in terrible places. And then they try to blame it blame it on Robert Kennedy himself. Oh, well, he didn't want cops near him and all this bullshit. And it's like, so, you know, that they hired a, um, security. It was one of the security guards that shot him. Okay. He had the same kind of gun. He claimed that he didn't have it on that day that he had sold it. They said, we want to see the receipt. Gave him the receipt, and it was fake. Right. It was on a totally wrong date. Like, it was <laughs> it was sold way after the assassination. And it's kind of weird that in one of the pictures, you see Robert Kennedy right next to this t- clip-on tie, and it's you can see a picture of the guard missing his tie, <laughs> which is in pictures of him earlier in the night. Right. And... uh. The guy hated Kennedy. They did a radio interview with him, and he's talking about how he hated Kennedy. He's former governor. He he was total racist, and uh, you know they didn't want to pursue it because he was former governor. Yeah, he was the guy who was former. He was former governor, and like they didn't want to you know publicize it because there seems to be a lot of CIA people there for some reason, and they they weren't supposed to work on any anything domestic. Right. So it's like, why the hell are you even here? Okay, so. Unfortunately, I have to wind this down because we've been going for a long time and we're getting into some good stuff here. I've cut out stuff in the beginning and I'm going to to make this fit. However, now that you're getting into some real sketchy government stuff, I want to end this with some talk about something I know about you. I don't know if you still do this. I don't think we can do it with our phones now. But you, when you were living in the apartment at Queen Anne, I would want to call you and I wouldn't be able to get through to you. You would take the battery out of your phone. Yeah. You do remember this because you said because they can track you if your battery's on your phone. Yeah, well, it's it's the uh, it's the only way to disable the GPS that's in every phone now. Right, but you were in your apartment. The G, you know, if you were out with your phone on, you would have returned to your apartment and they would know. I mean, that's the thing. Like you, you did you you disabled it while you were in your apartment. I th- I just always thought that was kind no, of funny. No, I mean, I wasn't I was out too. I mean, I would just leave it at the apartment. Oh. That was your, okay. See, the thing is, I would think that if you wanted someone to think you were at the apartment while going out, you would just leave the phone and go out without the phone. Leave leave the battery in so they could think you were there. I'd rather just disappear off the grid. So my question is this. Do you believe that someone would actually have wanted to know where you were? Do you think that Americans should actually have a concern that their government does want to know where they are? Let's go and you can like kind of leave off this with some of the NSA spying type stuff, which people have to know is real. But what do you think is essentially going on there? One thing I know about human nature is that people will do whatever they can get away with. And since there's very little oversight with the NSA, they could, they'll pretty much do whatever they want. And to think that they don't, you're, you're just being naive. Before any of this Edward Snowden shit can't, like 15 years I've been reading about this kind of crap. And, you know, just because there were official documents, now people believe it. 
Whereas before it was just people getting threatened and a, a lot of, you know. So do you feel like these revelations about the NSA recently, that's the equivalent of a conspiracy theory being broken open and no longer being thought of as a conspiracy theory? It's not proven. No, I don't think so, because I think that's just the surface. That's some of it, but it extends so far beyond of what he has. Are you on, Would you say that maybe that's just misdirection then? No. Look at the, don't look at what this hand is doing. Look no, at this beca stuff over no here. because people went out of their way to make him look bad. Like they wouldn't spend that much energy on someone they thought was just a crank. You know, they think, oh, well, this guy is Pete. The enough people are believing what this guy says that we have to have a concerted effort to not only speak poorly of him in our, in our official documents, but to get our people that work for the networks to also add their little spin on, you know, uh, you know, like it's as easy as putting traitor question mark underneath his yeah. picture before they even know what's in the fucking papers. I mean, you know, they, they try to make him sound like he's uh, this evil guy because he's in Russia. I mean, talk about living in the past. Right. And so when it, when you do something like take the battery out of your phone, is it more just like, I mean, you don't think some government person has a reason to actually want to know where Matt Matsuoka is. It's more no, just like, a, no. it's more just like a recognition of because I know of this, I'm not going to be a part of it. I just find it amusing that we're so attached to our phones these days that that is a way to observe people. And it's, it's not just government people like I'm put the, cameras in our houses. There's, there's places on the internet where you can totally just, Type in someone's phone number and it, it'll give you all the information. It'll give you the GPS coordinates where they're walking around with their fucking phone. I mean, that's that's kind of weird to me. And I think it's, uh, you know, I, I just don't like people, period. I mean, <laughs> uh, observing me or otherwise. I mean, taking the battery out of the phone, like, no, I don't think, oh, they're coming to get me or anything. But it's like, go look at someone else. You know, because there's so many people out there that want it, need attention. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not one of them. It's like live in a world where everyone wants attention. And it's like, I know they're out there. Give it to them. Leave me the fuck alone. But no, cell phones are just glorified GPSs, and whoever wants to find you will find you. And uh, hopefully they're not wearing ballistic armor. But if they are, I'm gonna be ready. All right, I think that's a good stopping point. We gotta, we gotta close it down. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. I think I finally got what I needed. Matt, thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. Well, episode thirteen. What can I say about it? If you just listen to it, it speaks for itself. Matt Matsuoka, that guy. Uh, yeah, you haven't heard the last of that guy. We're scheming up some way to get him uh, in a podcast format more often. So if you like what you heard, there's a possibility there will be more. Okay, corrections on this episode. Um, sorry, I'm very tired as I record this one. Maybe you can hear that in my voice. Um, didn't know how to pronounce foyer, foyer. I looked it up. In British English, it's foyer. In American English, it's foyer. But 
Listen to what I just said. It's a little bit funny. British English. That's the same thing. English English. It's foyer. American English. It's foyer. Um, I'm I'm gonna go with foyer on this one. I just feel like uh, I don't know. It just seems a little bit weird. I think if you're gonna say it in American English, you need to say it in American English. You know, don't say foyer. Say foyer. I don't know. I think it's someone with that accent wouldn't even say the word. That's the problem with it. It's foyer. All right, that's my take. Not a correction, just a uh, clarification. Technically, both are right. I just think one sounds stupid. We talked about the bloop. I was reading up on the bloop after we talked about it. Apparently, it is not organic in nature. It is now believed to be the sound of an iceberg scraping the ocean floor or something. If you want to believe an explanation like that. Sure, that's what it was. It just took them years to figure out that that strange sound is the sound of an iceberg. Why, yeah, whatever. The bloop. Apparently nothing. You can go on YouTube. I linked it on, the, on Matt's page. You can go on YouTube. You can listen to it for yourself. It actually doesn't sound like that much. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that I would answer Dave's questions. Dave uh, sent in a donation to the show. Dave, thank you for that. Thank you so much for sending that in. It's really appreciated. Um, and here are some questions that he had for me. He said, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts on this year's Rainfest are. Um, assuming I was there. I was there. I was there Friday night and Sunday. I missed most of Saturday. I had another event that I had to go to that I couldn't miss. Um, so I bummed, bummed me out that I missed some of the shows uh, that day, especially Praise, um, who I was really looking forward to seeing. But um, I thought this year's Rainfest was really phenomenal. Like, I just got such a good vibe off of it. And I always love Rainfest. It's just a, a big event. Even if you don't go into Rainfest, just the hangout outside of Rainfest is huge. And then you go inside and see amazing bands from all over the country, from all over the world. It's, it's, it's one of the best music events that I know of. And it's something I look forward to every year. So I, I love Rainfest. I loved this year's Rainfest. Um, yeah, and he also asked if I could get into newer and younger bands, and absolutely, absolutely. Um, the I gotta tell you, I didn't see a ton of sets um, from newer, younger bands this year. And to me, the two I will mention are newer and younger. Uh, although I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but Clarity starting off the festival on Friday night. Their new material blew me away. Totally thought they were great. Totally enjoyed it. Uh, Deadweight. Deadweight brought it this year. Deadweight was phenomenal. So, yeah, that stuff's good. There's a lot of stuff out there that I've, I've been enjoying lately. Um, and I have to say, uh, it wasn't officially part of Rainfest, and I didn't get a chance to see this band when they played Rainfest, but um, Stand United from Japan. They played a show Monday after Rainfest um, at the Black Lodge with Trial, Ikari, and the crew, and they were absolutely great. Like I was bummed that I had missed them at, at their actual Rainfest performance because they blew me away. They were awesome. So much energy. 
just exciting to see that. And just coming all the way from Japan to play these shows, these two shows, that that just impresses me to no end. So yeah, very much into that. Um, love all newer stuff. I love new hardcore bands, people getting out there and trying it out. I love it when a new hardcore band comes along with um, an, an exciting new sound or, or a weird new sound or doing something completely different um, because that's that's what they're supposed to be doing. And, and I love it when a new hardcore band comes along and they're just giving their spin on tried and true hardcore because, um, of course, I enjoy that stuff. Um, I love the energy, the passion, hardcore. I can't, you know, there is no part of me that feels like the the inner curmudgeon as you, as he mentioned is it was it impossible to suppress your inner curmudgeon no i am still wide-eyed and stoked at uh at new hardcore i love seeing it so that was the good part opinion on the chain of strength set i am of mixed feelings about this um look on one hand uh the things that annoyed people about chain of strength playing annoyed me just pick any of them and I'm pretty much I'm pretty much there. I have one specific thing that bothered me and that's they diss Kevin Seconds in one of their songs. You're talking all this stuff about 7 years. I thought you were committed for life. It annoyed me when I heard it on whatever comp that quote was in years ago when they put that out and they did it live. Why why would you diss 7 seconds live at Rainfest? Just leave it out. Just leave it out. Has seven seconds not proved themselves? Have, is Kevin seconds not the awesome dude that I know him to be? This is, I mean, if there's there's questions about your sincerity, there always have been, and you're still throwing out this seven seconds diss. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. Maybe that's not what it means, but seven seconds had a song called Seven Years, and uh, you referenced seven years and committed for life two seven seconds tracks it's what else could it be about so yeah that bothered me now chain of strength meant a lot to me at one time and i really love those songs and standing in a room full of people listening to the guys who wrote those songs come out and play those songs given everything i have just said it was still pretty cool i still had a good time i still sang along to the parts that mattered to me. And uh, yeah, so I'll take it. I didn't need it. I'll take it. It was there. That's pretty much uh, as much as I can do for it. General thoughts on straight edge bands reuniting when members are no longer straight edge. And it says probably should bring a Ram back for that one. You're right. Definitely probably should bring a Ram back for that one. I don't have him here though. So I'm just going to go ahead. I'm not going to speak for him, but I'll say this. The idea that over the course of 20 years, all members of a straight-edge band would still be straight-edge, um, that's a difficult proposition. And uh, I wish it were the case. You know, I like the idea that people are into it for life and that, that when people make an impact in the lives of that many people, that they will, can stick with it, that, that, that makes that impact in their life and they stay dedicated to it. That being said, I know a lot of ex-straight-edge people who are awesome people who've done just fine. Um, and I, you know, I'm not going to look down my nose at their choice and how to live their lives because more than half their life ago, they made a commitment that they didn't stick to for life. And maybe they thought at the time they were going to. 
more than half my life ago, I did make that choice and it did matter to me then and it does matter to me now. But I seem to be one of the exceptions and not really one of the rules. So I'm not going to apply my own thing to everybody else. Do I think that bands that were straight edge bands should get back together later with their original members if they're not straight edge and play straight edge songs? Yeah, I'm cool with it. Here's where I'm not cool with it. If you talk shit on straight edge after you've been straight edge, don't come back and sing your straight edge songs to me or to anybody else. That seems like bullshit. If you're a sour grapes piece of shit after straight edge, don't then come back because there's a payday in it. That that just that seems like a bunch of garbage. If if your songs were really hardcore like like the like if you got the real stand hard lyrics about straight edge and you'll be dedicated to it for life and sellouts this and whatever whatever lyrics are i mean i'm too tired to even think of any of them tonight don't play that song at the very least or you better have something good to say about it i kind of felt like chance drank the dressed you know true tell death a little bit before they played you know that i was okay with what they had to say and you know Honestly, once people take these songs into their lives, once a song becomes important to you, it's it's a big deal to stand in a room full of other people who those songs are important to and be able to scream along with those lyrics. And a cover band can be good. A band doing a cover of a song you love can be a big deal. But there's nothing like the real guys. There's nothing like that real voice. Knowing that that's where it came from. You're getting it from the source. So, obviously it's not the most ideal situation. But I'm cool with it. And I'm also cool with it because, really, I I don't know if I have enough time in my life to be upset about everything. I'm picking my battles a little more these days. And, uh, yeah. That seems to be one that maybe maybe it's that's a little too much to worry about. So there will always be, at the very least, a mild annoyance at the idea of non-straight edge people coming back and uh, taking part in the straight edge. That's a little bit. If it's done reverently, if it's some, I've always believed in the idea that someone could not be straight edge but be a straight edge supporter. That's something that I get. So. There's, you know, there's guys that quit being straight edge and they're assholes about it. And then there's guys that quit being straight edge and they're totally cool about it. And they're totally cool people that are still straight edge. And those guys can do anything. I'm totally down. I support them all the way. So I hope that answers the question. It wasn't too rambling. It felt pretty rambling. Um, Yeah. So another episode in the bag. There'll be another one coming. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris.